Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I'm not a chip on the shoulder. I, th- I think that uh, there's an embarrassment factor. I know that uh, it all summer, uh, I know that, that Craig shared it too, and it, it starts out as anger, then it goes to embarrassment, and then you can't wait for today because you don't have to talk about it anymore after this one. Uh, we'll have we'll have new issues that we can we'll focus in on and try. But I think the players, I don't want to speak for them, but I think they wanted to, they wanted to get here to make sure we're putting our best foot forward. Uh, I'm repeating what... Uh, what Schenner said uh, was complacency. Uh, if they felt that, they control. They control making sure that's not going to happen. And, and I know they. Obviously, he he said it because he felt it. And uh, now it's that that leadership group of four plus everybody to make sure that 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 doesn't creep back into us. That was Doug Armstrong speaking with us just a little while ago here at Sintine Community Ice Center alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio once again today. We'll be out here again tomorrow as the Blues open up training camp heading in to the 2023 NHL season. Alex, I feel like we've referenced 2007 far too often on this show over the last, you know, three, four, five months or so because we've we've talked about it a lot in relation to the St. Louis Cardinals. First time that the Cardinals have had a losing season in the last 15 years. The same thing was actually true of the Blues last year as well. First time that they were below 500 in terms of their points percentage since the year 2007-2008 as well. When you look at where they're at right now, the roster that they've assembled, the guys that are going to be taking the ice, that have taken the ice today, and you hear what Doug Armstrong said earlier about being embarrassed by last year's team, last year's results, what do you think immediately comes to mind for you, Alex? I know you had some thoughts as you heard Doug Armstrong say that earlier I I was frankly surprised that he used that word. I mean, Army is a individual who keeps things very close to the chest when it comes to talking about his team and where things are at but for him to use the word embarrassed and even it was a follow-up question like did you so you were embarrassed and he's like well yeah it was a bad season and frankly Doug Armstrong somebody who takes pride in not missing the postseason so what comes to mind when I heard him say that was what we talked about yesterday where it just felt like a different vibe around the team it does feel like this group army from the top down recognizes that there have to be changes. And I think the changes were made with Braden Shen being named captain. Now that you're seeing these guys on the ice and what they're trying to accomplish, Doug Armstrong is trying to recapture what made this team successful. And they're being aggressive with it too. Hence the offseason of bringing in Hayes. Hence the trade deadline last year of Kapanen and Verana and Sammy Blay. And what they've accomplished with these younger players, they're being aggressive recognizing that postseason has to be a, a, a has to be reached this year, and if not, it is the ultimate failure. You mentioned the words recapture what made them successful. What does that mean to you? Because what I hope doesn't happen, and I don't think they're doing this because they didn't go out there and like, remember when the Rangers said, you know what, we're too soft. We need to get a bunch of enforcers. We're going to trade Pavel Buchnevich 
for Sammy Blay because Sammy Blay hits people. Top five move below Logan Brown by Doug Armstrong for in sure. Blues history. Yeah, 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 no doubt about it. They haven't done that. They haven't like completely gone against the grain in every possible way where you're like trading Jordan Cairo for some kind of an inf- – like they didn't trade Jordan Cairo for Tom Wilson this offseason, right? That's not the kind of stuff that they went out there and did. Instead – they brought in some reinforcements for the fourth line. They brought in Kevin Hayes, who's going to be a really solid third-line center for them. Those kinds of things. Just ancillary pieces that are going to contribute, hopefully, towards more winning. But when you say they need to recapture what made them successful, what are you specifically referencing there? Size and offense. And I think that, not that I think, that is what they accomplished this offseason. Now, does it translate to the ice in the NHL? That remains to be seen, and frankly, we're not going to know that until we get deeper into October and November. But size meaning bigger players on the offensive side that can be net front presence. They did not have that last year. I mean, despite what we believed with that offense, they were not a big team. They were shoved around. Now you've brought in Kevin Hayes. You've brought in Sammy Blay. You've brought back Oscar Sundquist. You have Alexi Torpchenko. You have some younger players, some guys that are trying to make the team in terms of Ratcliffe and Nick Ritchie. You went big on offense. You're trying to recapture that. You had that in 2019. You were a tough team to deal with in front of the net. You're also trying to reclaim what made you successful in 2021, which was offense. And I do believe that they found that, and they have that with Ferrana and Kapanen, with younger players like Zachary Bolduc. It does feel like they're trying to recapture two different identities of what this team was and mesh them together, which seems difficult. But I think 2021, I'm so glad you mentioned that year and not 2019. Yeah. Because I, think, I did mention 2019. I think so often when people talk about what makes the Blues successful, they, th- they say, well, the only way you could do it is what they did in 2019. You got these big oak trees that are playing defensively. You've got a bunch of physicality in your offense. You're playing the cycle zone, the cycle game. Like all of these different things came together for the Blues to win the Stanley Cup, and that is clearly the only way that you can win a Stanley Cup because it's the only way that it's ever worked in the history of this franchise, and that's just not true. In 2021, I know they didn't end up winning the Cup. Guys, I still firmly believe, and maybe I'm just a big old homer. I've been accused of that by some here on this specific radio station before, but... Oh, when you yeah, uh, <laughs> when when you think about what that team had the potential to do had Jordan Bennington not gotten hurt in the postseason, I still believe they could have gone on a deep playoff run with that roster, and I think that is the formula. Getting back to what they were in that season and in that postseason, where it's okay, you do have a rush line, you do have guys that can win with. Uh, some speed, in transition, all of these different things that are kind of more modern NHL styles. But you also have the cycle game that can get going. You've got a little bit of physicality where Braden Shin is getting uh, the boarding calls in that series. You've got some defensemen that, yeah, they're maybe not ideal, but they find a way to get the job done enough that the guy behind them in Jordan Bennington can be able to come up with the big save when it's necessary. That, to me, is the formula. That, to me, is what they can get back to. I think what they did in 2019 is gone. And trying to recapture that, that is what I would fear them trying to do. I I don't think that Doug Armstrong has done that. I I think you have to pick things from certain teams that you had success with and bring them to this team. And and look, you have to go back to 2019 to try and recapture it. The problem that fans don't need to fall into is what you just said. 
Nothing with defense. Defense is not even in the equation right now of what you're trying to recapture other than 2021 with your offense. But from 2019, I thought this team was the best they were at cycling in terms of puck goes in, you come away with it, the other team can't get it from you. That's why you brought in Kevin Hayes. That's why you brought back Oscar Sundquist. That's why you kept Kapanen and Verana and uh, Sammy Blay. All of those guys bring that cycle game, frankly, puck possession back to your team. That's the part of 2019 that I believe you're trying to recapture. Most of those guys also clear out space. Yep. And that's yeah. something like I, I hear Jamie talk about hockey all the time, and I, I'm so excited to be able to hear it again this year here on 101 ESPN while he's doing the games on Valley 11, even better perspective uh, for us on the afternoon show. But one thing that I love that he does is he talks about time and space. That's the biggest thing that he talks about, especially when it comes to defense. But it's also something that you have to talk about on the offensive. There's time, but more importantly, there is space. And for the guys that are driving to the front of the net, they're clearing out space for some of those sharpshooters that you've got on the roster, like a Verona, like a Kairou. You're not going to ask them to go to the front of the net. That's not what they're good at. But what they can do is stay on the outside, get those shots on net, and now you've got an opportunity to get back to the goal-scoring prowess that you had. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what they're viewing with this team right now. And Army talked a little bit just about what the identity of this team was for the upcoming season, and I do believe that matches what they've put together. All of the proof is in the pudding with this. It doesn't matter until we see them go up. Remember, there was a 3 nothing shutout in the third game of the season last year that I came on the radio and was talking <laughs> about this team being another Stanley Cup contender. They looked like that. They looked like it. Grant and I were very excited that night at like 11 o'clock at night when the game was over. But was that the Edmonton game? That was that third game of the season yeah. where Pareko shut down McDavid and oh. Dreisaitl. Oh my god, I was so excited. I was watching that game in Portland, uh, Maine. Whew. Yeah. Man, it was a fun one. Yeah. Shocker, BK not a working game. Well, what else is new? Probably well, we were drinking some Portland, days. Maine, uh, some, some delicious, delicious IPAs from up there, Allagash. I was d- drinking Fantastic. some delicious coffee from our break room at Hubbard Radio to yeah. keep me going. I was a pretty hammered, start. and I, I had a nice bet on the Blues that I night. was I was pretty <laughs> hammered on excitement about the Blues, but like that, what that was was the beginning of the season, and then as the season went on, things changed. That can happen here, but you've brought in the personnel to back what you're saying in terms of recapturing success with this team. The question really is going to be, can you continue it and stop the snowball from taking place? Plenty more on the Blues throughout the day today. We've got more comments from Doug Armstrong that we'll play for you here on the show. We'll also discuss how the line combinations are going to come into play, and Alex thinks that today's uh, morning skate gave us a pretty firm idea of what the defensive pairings are going to be. So we'll get to all of that and so much more throughout the day today. Coming up in 15 minutes, we got to talk about City, guys. What they did last night, they officially have punched their ticket into the 2023 MLS postseason. They did so with a draw against LAFC. We'll give you our thoughts on that coming up in just about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, it's the first of many conversations that we will have, oh. have this season with the one and only... Uh-huh. Joey Vitale, next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, we're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. The Blues open up camp today for the 2023 NHL season, and Alex, you know what that means. 
it is time. We've been waiting for this for oh, quite yeah. a while. It has been a long off season, a tough off season for us with no conversations with our friend, the Blues Analyst for both 101 ESPN and Bally Sports Midwest. He's Joey Vitale joining us here. Joey! Joey! <sighs> I could use one or two of those this summer, guys. Some pump up, <laughs> oh, well, some pump up Joe music. Hey, shoot us a text. Yeah. We're always here to yeah. be hype, man. I know. Maybe if you just record that on a recording yeah. and then <laughs> send, it send it to me. I could have used it the other day. My wife uh, said, "I go, hey, but honey, I think I'm uh, going to miss about five or six games this year. Do some studio stuff." And she's like, "Oh, so you're traveling last?" I'm like, "Yeah." So it's good news. I'm not having you going to Edmonton. She's like, "Oh, that, that's good." I'm like, "That's great, isn't it?" <laughs> So just conversations that's, like that. That's when we do need to record it, and then your phone alarm clock goes, Joey, and Joey. I'll say, this person loves me. I go, you know, honey, you may not like me, but some people like me. So look, and I got the, I got the, I got the video, and I have the audio <laughs> to prove it. No, it's been, it's good to be back, guys, and certainly good to talk to you. And uh, it was a good summer. It was long. How pumped are you, Joe, about Bally Sports? You're doing. Uh, we don't know. It's not a determined number of games, but you and Jamal Mayers are going to be now the in-studio analyst for pre- and post-game. How pumped are you? You know, it's, you know, so it's a domino effect, right? So Panger leaves. Obviously, he's at the top, and it just there's a filtration system that's happening now, and they're going to have to replace Panger. So, of course, Jamie Rivers, who's done just an awesome job in studio for them and filling in here and there when Panger missed the games in the last previous years, he got the call up, and he'll do a fine job there. And so then you got to replace Jamie, and then it's just kind of that you just next guy up type of mentality like you see so much in sports. So when they, they reached out to me and they asked if I'd be interested, I said, of course I would be. Uh, because I'm still doing the radio games and doing the broadcast with Chris Kerber, you know, it became kind of tough to how do we then fill this in. And we love to get Joe some games. We also know that it's also a priority for me and the Blues to to do the radio game. So it worked out where I think Bernie Federko, who's the, the main studio analyst, is going to do about 70% of the games. And then the other, you know, 30% are going to be split between me and Jamal, who, again, Jamal does a great job there as well. So I'm excited. And listen, I did a couple games last year with Alexa and Scotty, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that side of it. I like, you know, watching the game and then breaking it down between periods versus just talking through it yeah. constantly. It's a very different beast. Certainly, um, it's going to be good to kind of have different schedules and kind of having to piece things together a little bit differently now. But at the end of the day, it's it's the next step, and I'm excited about it. You'll be able to master that touchboard video screen that you got to work? You know what? I, I haven't even dabbled into that just yet. That's a lot of tech now. I'm still trying to learn how to use my iPhone. <laughs> like, I'm still trying to figure out how to get Candy Crush like off my like screen where I can find things I actually need for work. And That's just a virus. It's there 24-7. <laughs> it doesn't go away. I, all the games and Barbie doll stuff going on, on my phone, I can't figure out how to uh, – technically get through <laughs> to the work stuff but no that's something that's gonna have to be a little bit of a learning curve but uh, definitely looking forward that's to awesome. it joe is it fair to say you're in the best shape of your life looks like it i am feeling okay i'm feeling okay about it uh you know people ask sometimes but you seem like you keep in pretty good shape i mean i don't really ever go to the gym i think it's just having children bk we yeah. were just talking about this before we hopped on i think having children you kind of alex you can appreciate this too it's like you constantly are on the move and you're constantly picking kids up. Like, that's all I do is constantly I'm, I'm squatting down and picking up children all the time. The downfall to it is, as you'll see too, is it's the leftovers. Like I am not, a, I, I can't see leftovers get thrown in the trash. Well, like, man. Whatever they don't My eat. Man. My wife's the worst with them too. She, she will not eat the leftovers. So where does it go? It has to go to you that's because right. you're like, if I'm not going to put it in the trash can because that's, that's not a good thing. No. So I'd rather put, put it, it in this trash can. In my belly, <laughs> and I'll do that. So 
that's where it's like the catch 22 of it all. But yeah, you keep moving, you keep the motion and uh, constantly picking up kids. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm ready for camp. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I wish that that was the case, though, because when I look at Joey and I'm like, oh, yeah, he goes to the gym. You look at me with kids I'm like, yeah, that guy doesn't go to the gym. No, that guy eats a lot. Yeah, <laughs> just it's just it's just constantly picking up kids and, and moving around and shuffling them around. And it's a it's a constant. BK's one sure. living that life now, Joey V. I have He's so, there. my shoulders, man. It's like it, it's muscles you never knew you had yes that suddenly are worked on a day-to-day basis you know what the hardest thing to do is it's it's hunching over a bathtub giving them a bath oh we haven't done that yet we're we're still in the sink oh i hate that i just hate getting them ready and then oh yeah just getting them dressed is a pain it's so much easier to just do diapers well when they turn one like you'll see it it becomes the kicking and screaming age well they won't they just won't lay on their back i'm like and and here i am talking to this one-year-old like he understands like like bro 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 you have to get Ready, you cannot leave the house naked. What are you doing? Like and like like he clearly understands what I'm talking about. Logic and reason plays well with one year. Oh, seriously, like the exorcist stance where oh, I like get yeah. up on all fours like Argh. Oh my god, like how are you bending in this direction right now? It's like the reverse like cow, like baby cow yoga motion position. I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm like, can you just chill? Our, our youngest thing? rolls over on her neck. So her neck is like turning. I'm like, you are going to snap your <laughs> I neck. I know, man. Stop it. And it's, then I'm realizing I'm negotiating with a one-year-old. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. I was talking to Nathan Walker, and he's talking about his his little baby winter. I know I was talking to Tori Crew the other day, Sailor. And just, you know, the these off-seasons are certainly long. But when you have children, you know, it definitely it speeds things up pretty quickly because you just never stop moving. Yeah. And um, especially with how I think involved these guys are with their kids, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, it keeps you moving for sure. What was Falk's advice to you when he walked out the door yesterday? I didn't know if we were supposed to disclose this on air or not, but I will go ahead and do oh, so. I amazing. will say that I'm not, I'm not saying who said this, but one of the players, I said the biggest piece of advice that I would have for you is to have player, have your kids in season because then you're out of town half the time. That anyway. is not a bad call. It really is. Well, think about how we used to be. Like men used to be like the hunters. We would be gone all day, you know, grabbing the wildebeest or just like gathering food where the the mom would do it. I think that's naturally what's supposed to happen. And now it's kind of all flip-flops and COVID certainly didn't help where everyone's now at home and the responsibilities are shared. And yep. I don't know if instinctually as men we are conditioned <laughs> to do that. Like it just doesn't to I know me. I'm not. It doesn't make as much sense, you know what I mean? So I think at times we all just need like to go out and just fight and grab a wildebeest or kill a deer or something. Welcome to hockey, right? Yeah, throw, throw the fists every once it's in a while. It's like you're out the door, you're going, <laughs> you're going to fight, and now you're you're coming back. So these off seasons definitely are a little bit different, a little bit challenging. But uh, and at the end of the day, Craig Adams, who was my winger in Pittsburgh, Harvard grad, smartest guy I ever played with, like he said it best: is never, there's never a good time. To have a child. Yep. There's really never a good so thing. He's like, think about it, Joe. You're giving up your freedom. Uh, you can't do anything. Your wife and you might as well just not talk to each other for at least a year. Like, it's like, and he started, and then you have this child, and it's so ungrateful. It doesn't ever say thank you, you know? And you're like, and you kind of break it down like that. He's like, so tell me, when would you want to do that? Like, well, never. I mean, that doesn't sound good at all. Like, well, of course. But, uh, God bless you, Craig. Nailed it. At the end of the and day. And cheaper by the dozen yeah. at Joey Vitale's now Joey's. <laughs> That's just it. But, and then you got to do it. You're on this time clock, for, especially for women. Yeah. Women got to do it before they're 40, right? Because yep. their their clocks are ticking. Like Unlike, you know, we keep reproducing, obviously. Uh, women have a certain amount of eggs. And then once those eggs are gone, boom, they're gone. So they're on this time clock where they got to do this pretty quickly. 
Meanwhile, the men, uh, like the hockey players, for example, they're they're in their the prime of their right. career, mid twenties and thirties, and they're like, you know, like Sidney Crosby, for example, he has not had children yet because he's still like in this like prime zone of his hockey is career. He married? He is married. Yeah, I was and, say. Oh, I should be engaged, I think, and um, I hope, hope he's not married yet. I wasn't invited to that wedding. Uh, <laughs> I should call him about that. Uh, well, you know, you're not really, getting married, invited to Malkin's wedding, so oh, Crosby's definitely. your last hope. Yeah, he would he'd address it to forty six. Forty six <laughs> is my address. He doesn't even know my name. But yeah, they're on this time clock, right? And so that kind of has to like you have to figure out how do you fit this into your life when all this other stuff's going on. I was having this conversation the other day. My buddy turned forty. I was like, "Well, you're basically dying." He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Well, that's what happens when you turn forty. I was reading this book by Peter Atia. It's called Outlive, and it really breaks it down. It's like, well, the world doesn't need you anymore when you're forty. So anyone out there who's forty, I hate Yikes. to break it to you, but you, we don't need you we got anymore. Ten years, baby. I was going to say, I'm seven away. Here we go. You got a little time, but he's like, you know, when you're forty your muscle tone starts breaking down 1% every year. So that's why it's really important to lift weights beyond 40 because yeah. your body is deteriorating because the world's saying, I don't need you anymore. You're here for one reason, to reproduce, produce kids. And if you can't do that anymore, especially for a woman who runs out of eggs, you know, then you really start deteriorating. So, you know, I don't know where we're going with that. But. I don't either. All I know is my wife's once start starting to talk about having baby number three, and now if she's hearing this, we'll be like, oh, crap. Now I'm going to go home and she's like, ready for number three? It's over. <laughs> yeah, well, it's over. And now at least you have an excuse when your buddy's like, oh, I'm just so tired. He's like, well, you're 42 years old. What do you mean? Well, you're basically you're dying. <laughs> the world doesn't need you anymore. No offense, but Joe, it, this is true. Joe Vitale, the life of the party. It really is true, though. Hockey-wise, buddy, yeah. um, Brayden Chen getting the captain. First time yeah. we're getting to talk about this. You played under Sidney Crosby. You mm-hmm. saw what great captain he was. Same with Shane Doan. What qualities about Braden Shen makes him the right choice? Well, he is the right choice because I think that you look at I – mean, I mean, listen, you look at the, the future and short-term, long-term, what's the long-term goal here? Well, the long-term goal is I think they're going to build this team around Robert Thomas. I think that was the other question mark. Do you give it to Robert Thomas now or do you give it to Braden Shen? Braden Shen, to me, right now in this moment, is the captain, the leader of this team. You know, But then you have to ask yourself the question, well, if it's going to be Robert Thomas at some point, when is he ready? And I think clearly right now they made the decision that it's just not ready. You know, And why isn't he ready? Well, it's nothing that he did wrong necessarily, but a lot of it is how this team is built around Robert Thomas at the moment. When Sidney Crosby came into the league, he was a very young captain like Connor McDavid, but you have to look at Sidney Crosby. You know, What was his support system like? You know, And how does that compare to what maybe Robert Thomas's support system is like? Right here, the Blues have a very young core. Like, think of this first line, Buchnevich, Kairou, and Thomas. I mean, that, that's a very young team where they're really building around. You know, Sidney Crosby had, you know, Ricci had Billy Guerin. He had Merrill Lemieux. I mean, the Hall of Famer himself was on his team so he had a lot of supporting cast that was going to show him how to lead this squad and so it's not a knock on Robert Thomas it's more of a knock on I just don't know if we have that veteran you know presence to really help Robert Uh, why do you need that well you need it because let's say this team starts to slip a little bit and maybe you don't have the support system that Robert needs well then as a young player you feel a little bit too much pressure on, you know, is this my fault? How do I get through this? Meanwhile, he's trying to figure out his own game, and now you put all this pressure on you're going to be the, the focal point of this organization, which I think is a lot to handle for a young kid, and it's the reason why uh, Tavares got the captain in Toronto. Austin Matthews, they were thinking it was going to be Matthews, but they just didn't feel with the pressure of the situation. That team hadn't made the playoffs in a while. They haven't certainly got past the first round. Is this too much for Austin Matthews to hand you, handle? So I, w- I would almost compare the same thing with what they did here with Braden Shen. So I think it's the lights out, the right move uh, for Braden. So for the next few years at least, hopefully he will be the C and Robert can continue to learn underneath Braden. But you talk about what type of player he is, what type of person he is. Uh, he's just he's just blues through and through. I mean, it, it runs in his veins, the way he plays the game, uh, his gamemanship. 
he's a player that just understands what the game needs. Like that, that's a leader to me. Like your captain doesn't just show up and do his job. You know, any, anyone can just show up and do their job. The, the captain has to go beyond himself, has to look to serve other other guys on the team and, and serve the game itself. You know, if it's a game that's getting out of hand, Braden will recognize we need a big hit. We need to fight. We need a big shift. So you have to look beyond yourself to, to serve the everyone around you. And I think Braden just does such a great job of that. I, and like I said, the way he fights at his age, he continues to bring the physicality. And he just has so much respect from everyone in that room. I mean, there's there's not a guy in that room that wouldn't go through a brick wall for Braden. And at the end of the day, that's what you have to do when you, when you put a C on someone's sweater like that. Joey, we'll get you out of here on this. City's been great. It's been awesome to watch them in mm-hmm. their, their inaugural se- season, get into the postseason. But it's been a tough year between the Blues and the Cardinals, yeah. both missing the playoffs over the last calendar year. If I'm a Blues fan listening right now, and Joey Vitale was going to give me a reason why yeah. I should believe in this team, that yeah. they can do something that's unexpected. What's the biggest reason for optimism for the, the St. Louis Blues? It's a great question. Uh, this team has got a big chip on their shoulder. I think they've looked around. They've listened enough. I don't think there's a lot of people that believe in this team. And I think they're in a really good spot because of that reason. I think you are going to see a team this year that is going to be willing to outwork all their opponents. I, I mean that sincerely. I talked to Craig Berube about this. You look at the way Vegas was built. Look at p- pretty much every Stanley Cup champion. Look at the way they're built. They're built through toughness. They're built through work ethic. They're not built through this, you know, dangling skill game where, you know, Trevor Zegris is doing all the Michigans. I mean, that's all fun and games during the year. If you want to win, you have to bring your hard hat and you have to work. And the belief for all the fans out there is you got a head coach that understands that. And I truly believe now you have a leadership group of guys that understand that that is how they're going to have to win games. Last year was tough. You had your captain. He was a UFA. You had a lot of UFAs, you know, the Barbashev, Tarasenko. There was a lot of drama, and there was a lot of, of an identity crisis, I think, with this team last year. So I look at this year. You got stable players. You got bring in Kevin Hayes. You have the leadership of Braden Shen. You have this younger group that went through a lot of growing pains last year. They realize what it takes to win. And I think you're going to you bring all that together. It's a perfect recipe for this team to really stun the league. And I really think they are going to stun the league. And they are going to bring that work ethic. And they're going to bring their hard hats every single night. And I think that they are going to um, do that for their fans. And I know one thing about the fan group and the fan base here in St. Louis. They appreciate teams and they appreciate players that embody that St. Louis um, nature of just playing hard and playing for each other. And I think that that's what they're going to see this year. Are they going to win every game? No. But the games they're going to lose, they're going to fight to the very end, and it's going to be something worth watching every single night. So I'm certainly excited to call it. I'm certainly excited to be a part of it. Uh, this is certainly a, a maybe a little bit of a minor rebuild, but I do think they're going to take a huge step, a much bigger step than a lot of other organizations who are kind of in the same similar situation. Well, Joey, we'll be watching. We'll be listening right here on 101 ESPN. Joey and Curbs on the call all year long right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Thanks for joining us as always, man. Looking forward to doing these things weekly again. Can't wait, guys. Looking forward to it again every Thursday and uh, one of my favorite days of the week, and I appreciate you uh, finding time for me today, and look forward to talking next week. That's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call all season long right here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time as always. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll be back here in just a moment to talk about City, proving to everybody that they're more than just an expansion team. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think if you're Bradley Cardinal, Lutz Fondenstiel, they may be a little different. I know Lutz, as competitive as he is, he wants three points. He wants to make sure that they put a bow on this season and win the number one seed in the West, win the Western Conference enforce anyone that wants to win in the West to go through St. Louis. I know that's what he wants. Bradley Carnell, seeing how this team is really struggling to see results out, they're giving up a ton of goals late in games. I think Bradley Carnell, when given the option, he would easily take a point. That was Taylor Twelman yesterday on the balloon party prior to the game between St. Louis City SC and LAFC. Of course, we know how this one went. A nil-nil draw between City and LAFC alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We got Grant Francis back in the studio running the board for us today. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, I didn't know early in this season if we were going to see a game like that by City. Frankly, I didn't know if, we were, if they were capable of playing a game like that. Because early on in the year, I was like, damn, look at this offense. They've got this press. They are out here just looking like the Showtime Lakers. Like, it is unbelievable what this offense is capable of. But I don't know about that defense. I know that Berkey's amazing, but it kind of feels like the Blues were eventually, man, that defense could start to break a little. You see some cracks, and then especially against the quality opponents on the schedule, I don't know how that's going to look. Well, yesterday, they ended up getting the nil-nil draw. You clinch a postseason berth in your inaugural season in MLS. And Alex, one of the biggest reasons why I find that to be important is because it allows for City what happened in Vegas with the Vegas Golden Knights. They were immediately one of the best teams in the NHL. And what that meant is there is now a home ice advantage for the next God only knows how long. Because when you look at some of these other expansion teams or teams that have been relocated, It is not always that way. If you do not get off to a good start, that early initial excitement, it starts to dissipate. There will be some fans that still go because they're like, I'm excited about St. Louis having soccer and uh, the ability to go do something new in the summer, especially as the Cardinals are, are struggling this year. But for them to get into the postseason in year one, that allows for fans to become emotionally connected to the team in a way that otherwise is not possible. And so now... I think this, I mean, first of all, it couldn't have gone any better in year one, but this will make soccer even bigger in St. Louis as a community because of the success that the team was able to have in year one. Absolutely. Uh, The perfect comp for me, and I I think we've mentioned this before, but is Vegas and what Vegas did in the NHL. If you're a team, and look, Vegas is a hotbed for sports, so you knew it was going to be successful, but when Vegas entered the league with that team, everybody was interested because it was an expansion team. They did the draft. You brought in these players, and you were thinking, okay, this could be interesting. If the team would have laid a dud that first season, I mean, and I don't want to say Seattle when the Kraken came in, they were bad, but they weren't to the Vegas level. 
But if Vegas would have come in and missed the playoffs, one of the five worst teams in the NHL and drafting in the top five, people wouldn't be talking about it the same. People talked about Vegas because they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final and were a group of misfits that you were like, where did this team come from? City SC, now they're they're not a group of misfits. It wasn't as publicized of an expansion draft like the Vegas Golden Knights were. City was a team that came onto the scene and people were thinking, okay, it's an expansion team. How much can really happen? You already had the history of soccer with St. Louis. You knew it was a hotbed and you were thinking, okay, but if the team's bad, who really cares? Because not to be cruel, but it's not at an ideal time when you're City, when you're playing against Cardinals baseball and when you're playing against Blues hockey, you got two juggernauts going and you're this new stepbrother. You knew that there was going to be excitement around the team early on. But it was a fan base. And the question was, like, is this going to sustain and what is it going to look like in year two or three if they really struggle early on? And now you've showcased that you are the best, one of the best teams in all of MLS. Welcome to everybody else who wasn't in on it jumping on board. And really, this season was best-case scenario for City and what took place. You were awesome while the Cardinals were terrible because nobody really wanted to sit here and talk about the Cardinals and go to the Cardinals games because you knew what the outcome was. Meanwhile, twice a week, you knew City was going to play and it was going to be exciting. So this was best-case scenario for them. Yeah, it absolutely was best-case scenario for them to build this team. And kind of like you said, they're not a band of misfits. And you got to feel great to see how Lutz built this thing and how you've got Cornell there because unlike the expansion draft for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle uh, Kraken, it was basically that's how the team was built. Yeah, there was an expansion draft, and City took a couple players in it, but they went out and they went and signed guys. They signed a Roman Berkey, convinced him to come over. Not only just sign him, but convinced him to come over and play in the prime of his career with City 2 while they were still waiting to get their stadium built before they started in the MLS, finding Klaus, finding Leuven, like – it, not only is it great that they are playing well and seeing how this is going, and because I remember when we talked at the beginning of the year going, okay, what can you really expect from an a expansion team? Expect them to miss the playoffs, and like everybody in MLS gets into the playoffs. And they haven't done that. They haven't done that. Lutz, is, Lutz did a great job in terms of building this team from the ground up, and now you can see what they're talking about and why they are such a good team. And you're right, BK. I don't know if we see them tie 0-0 early on in the year. They were too searching defensively. They, they kept possession last night, which is not their style of play. They played really good against LAFC, and now they're in the driver's seat to be the ones that are going to have home field advantage, which will just be awesome to experience. Because, yes, you'll have the Blues coming back and trying to compete with City SC, but you're talking playoffs for the MLS, and you're going to have the Blues back in action too. So it's going to be a lot of fun now that we get back into kind of the fall here and we get the Blues in action, and you're going to have City in the playoffs. And I think... My guess is that they're going to have the playoffs going through City Park. And to speak to what you just mentioned there of the typical expectations for expansion teams, here's a few of those. Minnesota United finished ninth of the 11 teams in the Western Conference when they joined the league in 2017. New York City, eighth out of 10 in the Eastern Conference. Orlando, seventh out of 10 in the Eastern Conference. Montreal, seventh out of 10 in the Eastern Conference. And it just continues from there. Portland finished sixth. Vancouver finished last. Philly finished seventh out of eight. Most of the teams that come into the MLS, their first season is full of struggles. Now, recently, we've seen more of this. LAFC made the knockout round in 2018. Atlanta United in 2017 was able to make the knockout round as well. So we've seen some recent success by MLS teams. But like LAFC, they went out and they they tried to get stars right away. 
and Lutz came out and told us, and we we weren't really sure what to make of the way that they were going about this early on, but they said, like, hey, listen, we're not following that path. That is not our plan. We want something that is sustainable. We want to build a team that is kind of roots-oriented, and you're going to grow with us as we continue along here. I think if you got the St. Louis City SC front office on Truth Serum, they would tell you even they are a little surprised by the amount of success that this team has had right away. And that is a credit to a lot of the players. It is a credit to the coaching. Maybe most importantly, it's a credit to Roman Berkey because that dude on certain nights has allowed them to be as competitive as they have been in their first season in MLS. So huge night last night out at City Park. I agree with you, T-Bone. I think we are going to be seeing the postseason go through City Park, and that is quite the home field advantage for this team. They have been very good so far this year at home. They have been struggling lately when they've been going on the road. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, if I told you that you could sign up for this kind of production next year from the St. Louis Cardinals number five starter, would you hit the button to lock it in today? We'll give you that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, how many points do you think that the Blues will finish with this season? Very easy question. Very difficult stance. 110. Okay. Oh, oh I thought wow. you, that's where you were going with it. Um, I would say mid to low 90 range. 92 81 for context last year. Yeah. And I think 90, 92 is going to be a wild card team. It took 95 to get in last year. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be that many or as many competitive teams at the bottom this year. So I would say 92, 94. I think they're a seven or eight place team in the Western Conference. Florida got in last year with 92. That was the lowest. So right in, yeah. right and in I think line. It's probably going to look close to that to get in the wild card in the West. I'm actually going lower than that. I would go wow. mid to high 80s. Wow. I, I don't know if they're significantly better. And they're going to have to, like, I can, I've talked about this multiple times. I can see the path to where they get to where you're talking about, and they are a playoff team. I can also see the path where this thing just goes awry early on. They don't get off to a fast start, and then people start to press, and then it just goes haywire, and then they are kind of in the same spot they were last year. So I'll go kind of in between that. I think they're right around 85, 87 points. I think Nashville and St. Louis just flip. Like, when you're looking at the Western Conference standing, specifically in the Central, I think most of the teams are pretty similar to what they were a year ago, honestly. Like, I don't see a big drop-off coming for the Avs, for the Stars, for the Wild. The Wild are the one team that I'm kind of pointing to and saying, like, I don't 103 points, I, I don't know if you get back to that. But I still think they're going to be a good team nonetheless. Winnipeg, I think, is going to be better than a lot of people are expecting. I think they did pretty well with that Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. I, I thought that was a good one for them. Nashville, I think, is going to take a step back. I think the Blues take a little bit of a step forward. I think right around 90 to 92 is somewhere in the range of what you should be expecting from the Blues this year. Yeah. So I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist on this team. I feel like I'm kind of like right in the middle. Uh, so 
I, I could be swayed. Uh, the early season is going to sway me in one way or the other. Don't let the early season sway you, though, because it swayed me to a Stanley Cup contender and, and Blues drafted Dalibor Dvorsky 10th overall. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, this will never happen, but if Arizona calls you, would you trade Nolan Gorman and Tink Hintz right now for Zach Gallen? I mean, I would. Zach Gallon contract-wise is one thing that I was curious about. He's got two years left under club control. He'll be about $10 million next year, probably 20 in the final year of arbitration, just yeah. if that helps you at all with I, that. I would do it. I I understand. And look, I don't it's want to prove it. That, exactly. Yeah. He's proven, and he's not just proven. He's a proven, arguably, ace. If, if you don't think he's an ace, I would get that. He's a number two for sure. Um, so, absolutely, I would do it. That's that scenario where it is. You don't want to give up Nolan Gorman, but if an arm like that became available and that's what it did take, Texas, right, it's never going to happen. But if it did and that's the opportunity, Arizona said, yeah, we'll take Gorman and take Hintz, yeah, you can. You have to pull that trade for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm not going to do it because Logan, Nolan Gorman's too good to give up. I don't think I'd do it. <laughs> Only two years of club control over a pitcher, and I've got, what, five over Gorman? I don't think I make that deal. But I would assume because okay, you just that's got your ace review. though. You do, but then you're going to have to pay him thirty plus million dollars per year on a long term extension to be able to get him signed up over the long haul. And I've got Nolan Gorman who could hit me forty home runs next year. I don't think that's an outlandish thing to say. And I've got Tinkins who there is a ton of projection still that is in the Tinkins um, idea of what he could be two, three, four years from now. But I've got Tinkins who could project to be a front end starter as well. I don't think I'm giving up that much for Zach Gallon. If he had more control, I would definitely do it. But with this little control, I don't know that I would, honestly. I would do it because I would give him the contract extension. And I understand the Tinkins thing. And you know I kind of fall victim to prospects sometimes. A lot, actually. Um, Easy mo. I'm willing to I'm willing to part with him because Gallon takes his role for the future, and it is certain. And I think he is better than any free agent you can sign this offseason. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, And if Agreed. that's the case, then I'm willing to trade that, acquire him, and then Give lock him, 30 him mil, to a yeah. contract extension. Absolutely. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to one more here from the 618. Guys, who's the pitcher that nobody seems to be talking about that you think the Cardinals should try to sign this offseason or trade for? The pitcher they should acquire in some capacity. That people aren't talking all Everyone about. knows my answer on this one, so I'll let somebody else James go. Paxson? No, God, no. What is Logan yours? Gilbert. That's but everybody's talking about him. Huh? Everybody's talking about him. That's not sign, though. Isn't that he's not acquire. acquire. Just acquire oh, in yeah. some right. capacity. Especially if they're going to go after Shohei. And I get that he's not pitching next year, but, I mean, I would, I would be aggressive on that front to get a legit stud, young, and controllable. I, I feel like we have talked about every Miami pitcher under the sun except for this one. Yuri Perez? <laughs> no, that that Ooh, would be that quite guy. the deal. I like him. He's like six foot eight. Yeah. Braxton Garrett is a guy that I'm interested in. He is going to probably come at a lower cost than most of the other pitchers that are in that rotation. He's had a really good season this year. He's not like a crazy high strikeout guy, but he doesn't walk anybody. And he's got, you know, one per inning in terms of the strikeout rate for him this year. I think he's gotten a little lucky this year, but he's a pretty good pitcher through 155 innings for him. He's a 25-year-old. He's got a ton of club control. So uh, if you want somebody that people aren't talking a whole lot about that probably wouldn't come a whole, with a whole lot of like fanfare, Braxton Garrett would be one guy that I like. He's a lefty, by the way. I'll, I'll go with like the number four starter because you guys took kind of the top-end guys, Braxton Garrett. He would be a four, but you could project him to be a little bit higher. 
I think free agent-wise, someone that we're not talking enough about, it was James Pax until he got hurt for me. It was never James Pax. I think now the guy that I'm kind of on is in San Diego, and it's Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo has a $7.5 million player option. He's going to turn that down. He's yep. had a great year. What his market looks like, I think he's probably right around that 10 to $15 million range. Give him a two, maybe a three-year deal. He slots in as, like, your number four ahead of Steven Matz. He's the, he's the new James Paxson-esque pitcher for me that's on the market that's going to cost a little bit, but it's only going to be a one- or two-year deal. I'll tell you, a low-risk or a high-risk, high-ceiling player for me is, I mentioned him before, Luis Severino. And he, he's been in between with New York this year. But I would absolutely, depending on what his contract is, I would absolutely take a chance and bring him in as like a four in hopes that he could be a two. I don't know why this happens to me, guys. I don't understand it. From the 314, BK, for the love of God, why are you so enamored with trading Gorman, dude? Yeah, dude. Dude! Wasn't I the one that said I wouldn't? Dude! I don't. Why people do you... people fall victim on our text line to this, where sometimes when BK talks, they think it's me. Sometimes when I talk, they think it's him. I don't know why. He's got a high raspy like Whoa. voice. <laughs> See right true. there. Whoa! Yeah. Like we I, know I who's true. different. Yeah, Mine's the deep booming, like illustrious, like oh, gotta meet this guy. The one that voice. sounds like an a hole most of the time is yeah. probably me. The oh, one. I oh, I was gonna say me. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Oh, now I understand. Why we have this argument in the, in the in the office all the time. Rockio thinks T Bone's the biggest, you know what, in the group, and I think I am. Yeah, it's a competition I hold close to heart. I disagree with that assessment. I think T Bone is the darkest of the oh, group. T Bone is the type of guy like when something happens across the street, the neighbors go on camera and they say, "I could have never seen it coming with that guy." And then you say, "I could have." Oh yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I knew it all along. I frankly, I called the police and told them to check this guy. <laughs> no, wasn't a surprise <laughs> yeah. to us. Knew it. Threatened me. <laughs> Coming up next, a guy to watch next year in this rotation is Zach Thompson. He's proven himself to me. I think you could sign up right now to have him as your number five starter next year. But I've got some numbers to put to it. Alex, I want to ask you if you'd sign up for this going into Probably next year. Probably we'll not. that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a miss. Thompson gets Contreras for the first time. It sounded like last night. It wasn't a great outing by Zach Thompson, but I think it's been overstated as to how bad it was. When you watched it, you thought to yourself, man, I don't feel super confident in this. His velocity was down a little bit. He was fighting himself. Didn't have the greatest mechanics. He talked about that a little bit after the game. But, Alex, you look at the overall results. Five innings, five hits. Four earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. Hey, man. All things considered. Son of a nutcracker. I forgot to turn the mic on. I think you'd sign up for that from your number five. Who could have seen that coming? Huh? Who would have thought that Zach Thompson, who had terrible numbers in minors, would translate to the majors? Obviously not you. I tried to convince you about it, and uh, you told me, Uh, nope, don't even think about him as a starter. I screamed it. I actually yelled and got angry at you on the air. Look at his AAA numbers. Awful. And I told you, don't worry about that. The automatic ball system has complete balls and strike system down there has completely altered the way that he's able to use at the top of the zone. You got to watch ball. And clearly, you just don't watch ball. True. 
So, Zach Thompson, in his last nine appearances for the Cardinals, this includes one relief appearance, but it was four innings, so basically the last nine starts. He's gone 45 innings for them. He has a 4.5 ERA. If you look at some of the underlying stuff, the advanced nerdy numbers, they they tell you he's actually been a little unlucky. He's, he's been a little better than that 4.5 ERA would indicate. He's striking out a batter per inning. He has just 13 walks in these 45 innings. Guys, if I told you right now, and I want to hear from the text line as well, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you could sign up today, whether it's Zach Thompson or somebody else that gives you these numbers, for your number five starter next year to throw 175 innings with a 4.5 ERA and he strikes out a batter per inning, are you signing up for that, hitting the button today to lock that in as your number five starter? Because that is what his last nine appearances projects to over the course of a 162-game season for Zach Thompson. Yeah, I'm absolutely hitting that button. I I think that's what you're going to be chasing in the offseason in, in reality of you trying to find a number five starter, and you're going to be paying significantly more money than what Zach Thompson's making next year to be your number five. And I get it. Like I, I'm, I'm very scared as a Cardinals fan that this is a trap like we've seen in the past where one dude looks great for a few months and you're thinking this is the next guy in our rotation. This is who we've been waiting for, and then it falls apart next year. I understand that, and that's why I do believe you should try and sign – protection or bring in protection for Zach Thompson, but he's given me everything I've needed to see in terms of if he's my number five next year, I'm on board with that. He's got swing and miss stuff. You know that he's going to be there for you every fifth day. Frankly, he has his ups and downs, which are what most number five starters are going to have. Most of the time, I'm planning on a number five starter having like somewhere between a high five ERA. We're talking about a dude who could be in the mid to to high fours. Yeah, your hope is that whoever it is that you sign, or if you run it back with Zach Thompson as the number five, absolutely press the button, hope that you get those kind of numbers, because that is what a typical number five is nowadays in baseball. Now, the question they're going to have to answer is, how much is that worth? Is that worth paying 10 to $15 million for on the open market? Because that's probably what that looks like. That's what Seth Lugo, who I just mentioned, he could probably put up those similar numbers. He's been better this year. I think he would probably regress back more to the norm. But if he put up those kind of numbers, four or five ERA, nine strikeouts per nine, that's 10 to $15 million on the open market on a one, two-year deal. Do the Cardinals say, okay, we think Thompson projects as that long-term. I'm a little skeptical because of, because of what we said, all his outings recently. I feel like I've heard comments of, did have my best stuff, my stuff hasn't been that great, and he kind of grinds his way through it. Doesn't that speak highly of him, though, that he doesn't have his best stuff, he finds a way through it, he's grinding, and he's still finding a way to get through five with every single one of these, basically, and giving up three or four earned runs? And that's kind of what I hope for from my five-starter, honestly. I So, the... If you're looking at the upside of that, yes, it is. Look at him. Look at how he's been able to get through these outings without his best stuff. My downside, the pessimistic in me, or pessimist in me, would say that's probably a sign that worse is coming for Zach Thompson. And I, I and I hope not because I, I have liked what we've seen from Zach Thompson. I'd much rather have him be the number six going into the next year. And I still stand by that because I want to go out and I want to get the guy that's going to cost ten. $15 million to be on the back end of this rotation to put up these numbers that we're talking about. And it's not so much a knock on Thompson. It's more so that that way, when I look at that roster going into spring training next year, I go, okay, who's the number six starter for when something goes awry? And the answer is Zach Thompson, because Zach Thompson is a quality guy that you can have in your system. But if, because he is cost control, 
and hasn't been a starter for a long, long time at the major league level, I can say, okay, at least we've got him as kind of the case glass breaks emergency guy. Otherwise, if you use Thompson as the five, who is that guy? Is it Dakota Hudson if you bring him back? Is it Drew Rahm? You haven't seen McGreevy. You haven't seen Graceffo. I would much rather have Thompson be kind of locked in as that six or swing man in the bullpen that can come in when they deal with injuries and sign somebody that's going to be ready on opening day to be the five. And that's my ideal offseason is to do that, but you're going to be spending so much money to get that one and two that your bullpen needs to be addressed. And the bullpen being addressed to me is a lot more important than the number five starter. I would love for them to go get some guy that's been dealing with injuries on a low-level contract, a prove-it deal, and say, if you win this out of camp, you'll be our number five, and Zach Thompson will be the swing man out of the bullpen. He's the break glass in case of emergencies, but I don't know if you're going to have enough money to do that. See, I don't know if you necessarily need to have – this is where I think a conversation's worth having with the bullpen. You don't – though I think they need to overhaul that bullpen, I 100% agree – I don't think they need to necessarily do that all in free agency. I think they can spend three, five million dollars on one arm, get another arm in a trade. Maybe you find someone that gets ends up being DFA'd from their squad uh, because they signed somebody in the offseason. Somebody drops through. When you look at all the best bullpens, they're not just built on money. They are built on trading for at trading for a reliever, claiming a reliever off of waivers. Maybe someone develops in your minor league system that uh, like the double A guy they got for in the Paul DeYoung trade. Maybe he showcased himself. That's where it comes down to evaluation. I don't think it necessarily needs to be oh they got to go get four bullpen arms and they got to spend twenty million dollars to do so. No, they can get four bullpen arms and spend three million dollars on one in free agency and then make all those other moves that I'm talking about. I'm just trying to find this rotation that has a bunch of dudes that have like a sub five ERA. And but more specifically, a sub four ERA. Atlanta's got a dude who's got like a seven ERA as their right. number five. Kyle Wright. So I'm going through these. Milwaukee has Adrian Hauser as their number five starter. He's got a four three ERA on the season. Houston has Christian Javier as their fifth starter. He's got a four six ERA on the season. The outlier here is Seattle, and we've talked about them all season long. The reason why I think they've got a real shot to be able to get through October is because of that rotation, and they're doing this without Robbie Ray, which is just. Incredible. It's part of the reason why we talk so much about their starters potentially being on the mood. Brian Wu's their number five. He's got a 3.9 ERA. That's amazing. That is what everybody would like, but it's nearly impossible to do. Texas has Cody Bradford as their number five starter right now, 4.7 ERA. Atlanta, Kyle Wright, 7.8. Philly, Taiwan Walker, 4.5. I mean, I'm talking about legit contenders right now that have those types of pitchers at the back end of their rotation, you could do the same thing for Arizona. They've got a guy in Ryan Nelson who's got a 5.5 ERA. If you don't want to go with him, maybe you think it's more of a Zach Davies who's their number five starter. Well, he's got a 6.8 ERA right now. These teams, just almost all of them, have one guy in their rotation that is going five innings and has close to a five ERA. If I can sign up today for that to be Zach Thompson... And for him to go out there and he's giving you an opportunity every fifth day where he goes out there to start and he's giving you a chance to win, man, I'm just doing that. Yep. I know that they said they're going to go out there and th- sign three starters, and I'm in. In That sounds great. Get two guys that are at the front end of your rotation and then sign somebody or trade for somebody that's a legit bounce-back candidate. Like, go trade for Robbie Ray. Go trade for somebody that pitched, like, ten innings this year. Go trade for Kyle Wright. Go sign one of those guys like Tyler Malley or Frankie Montas who – is going to cost you like $10 bucks because they're on a pillow contract since they didn't really play this year. That's the kind of thing that I would be in for. I am hitting that button so quickly. If you tell me right now, help, forget the 175 innings. 
give me 150 innings next year from Zach Thompson of 4-5 ERA, and I am thrilled with what the Cardinals are getting out of their number five starter. Because the truth of the matter is their season will not be determined by what they get out of that slot in the rotation. It will instead be determined by what they get from their number one and what they get from their number two. If those guys aren't good, you're screwed no matter who that number five starter is. If they're great, though, and Thompson puts up the numbers that we're talking about here, you can go head-to-head against any of those rotations that I just mentioned. Milwaukee, Houston, Seattle, Texas, Atlanta, Philly. And with the exception of Seattle, you've got a number five starter that will go head-to-head against any of those teams, and you are going to be A-OK. That's why I'm fine with them going into next year with him as their number five. Yeah, and the reason that I would put him at six is I'm thinking more so of, okay, how can you build yourself up depth-wise? And I think that's the best way to do it is go sign a five. That way you have Thompson as the six. And because if you do the pillow deal that you're talking about, where, say, Malley, he'll be the placeholder here, you sign him, you say he's going to be the five when he comes back. Thompson's that spot now. You lose one arm and it just all of a sudden everything starts to kind of fall apart at the seams, in my opinion. But does it? I mean, if, I, I, if so. I don't have that number five starter that you're talking about that you're going out to sign and it's going to cost you 10 million bucks, maybe I do what Alex is talking about and I get a better reliever who, when I'm having to go to the bullpen a little bit earlier, I've got a guy that I trust a little bit more. Or maybe with that money, you spread it around to multiple relievers. And I. I just don't think that some of your options at AAA right now are all that bad. I mean, going into next year, at some point, they're going to have to get something from Graceffo and McGreevy. Like, it, it's getting pretty close to me in time. At some point, they're going to have to get something from Dakota Hudson if they're going to continue having him around. He could be your number six starter going into next season. And as much as we don't really enjoy the Dakota Hudson experience, guys, he's a fine sixth starter in Major League Baseball. We are talking about one out of every five days in this position. And look, if an injury takes place, this is when problems arise. But you We're talking about 10 starts over the course of 162 games next year for that sixth starter that we're discussing. And you can't handle an offseason where you have so many things on your to-do list and well, what happens if this guy gets injured? I mean, this is but why see, I, I want think, the top-end pitchers. you have to be planning for not so much the plan on injury, but you have to have more, I feel, certainty, I would say would be the word. But I that's why you're that's going. That's why I'm getting my one and two. But, and that's I, what but you're I, think, I think you have to be preparing, like Zach Thompson is the six, in my opinion, because I don't think Matt's is making 30 starts. But you don't have enough money to think, do all of this. I don't think – I think you do. I, I think so, like, the $10 million we say is what O'Neill and Hudson are, right? I think you non-tender those guys, you go get at that number five. So and then how, you got Thompson as the six. I think the bullpen... Look, what is your plan for one and two in this scenario? One and two is... Pri- you're signing a one and two. You are so signing you're a signing, one So you're spending 50-plus million dollars for those guys and giving out another 10 for your number five and going out and signing people for your bullpen or trading if, for them. Know. Whatever it is, yes. got to spend a few million bucks for your bullpen yes. as well. They don't have that money. Then they They're can't have a it. full successful offseason. I don't okay. think they can. I, I really don't. They, they have to open up... The, the wallet and they have to go out there and they need to sign somebody because I fear that they're going to run into a depth issue in this what I think would have to happen in your scenario is they would have to go trade for that one or two and in that scenario now you are pulling from your offense as well to be able to have the right to sign that fifth starter I would rather not pull from my offense not go sign that number five starter and pull that $10 million and repurpose it to either the number one or the number two starter or the bullpen, depending on how you end up going about those other pieces. That That's how I would personally rather accomplish this offseason. If you have $70 million to just go spend wildly this offseason, I'm totally with you. Hell, go sign seven starters <laughs> because then you'll have the opportunity to really bolster that depth. I just we know how this team operates. They're going to operate within a budget, 
and I don't think that they have the money to be able to, to Alex's point, I don't think they have the money to accomplish all of the things that you're setting and, out for them to do. I want them to be aggressive on the top of this rather than worry about the big picture with your rotation. I want you to take care of business with one and two. One and two is my priority. If five combusts and Zach Thompson's not the guy and we've got to go to the minors in Dakota Hudson, you know what you do? You're president of baseball operations. You go out during the season and make a trade and bring something in. Oh, so, we can't do that till the end of the Well, line. And then welcome to my, con- my concern with the Cardinals. Final thing on this. Somebody on the text line says, do you guys have a rough estimate of what the Car- Cardinals are going to be able to have to spend in free agency? It's really hard to do right now because of arbitration situations and because we don't know where they're going to stand with some of the tender situations. So are, are they going to bring back to Dakota Hudson are they going to bring back Tyler O'Neill but if we just assume everybody's back I think it's around 50 million bucks somewhere around 40 to 50 around 50 million dollars is what we're kind of projecting for our show at least for the Cardinals to be able to spend going into next season and I mean if you're going out and getting let's call it Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray welcome there's your 50 million dollars you probably have like five mil left over to be able to go get a bullpen arm or maybe a fifth starter that can like help you occasionally. And that fifth starter is not going to be anybody that Cardinal fans are excited about by any stretch of the imagination. So I think it is going to require them to not bring back some of these pieces that we're talking about so they can have closer to 60 and probably to to either trade for or sign a lesser number two starter than a guy like Sonny. Time to, time to cut bait with uh, cut dead weight, yep. O'Neal. It's time. All right, coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including what in God's name is going on in Chicago right now? We got to discuss this. That's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. So let's start with what was a no good, very bad day up in Chicago yesterday. I'm not sure I've ever seen a day quite like this in the NFL, to be totally honest with you guys. The first thing that happened, their franchise quarterback, we mentioned this yesterday while we were on the show, comes out and says, hey, my head's not clear right now. I am playing too robotic. And then when asked to clarify as to why that was, he went on to a very long and descriptive answer as to how coaching has it, it's put too much into his headspace. Honestly, it sounded a lot like when a hitter goes to the plate and they're thinking too much, right? He's doing that, but on the football field. So he then had to clarify, hey, I wasn't calling out my coaches. I want to be clear here. I got no issues with our coaches. I'm good. They're good. I'm just not playing well. So then, later on in the day, it came out that their defensive coordinator, Alan Williams, was basically MIA. He wasn't at the uh, at the facility. And then there was a report on Twitter that Alan Williams' home had been raided by the FBI and that the Bears' facility had also been raided by the FBI. Good. There were then counter-reports that said, no, 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 no. We want to make this very clear. Hallis Hall, the Bears facility, was not raided by the FBI. And then today, it comes out via Pat McAfee. No, their sources say that his home was definitely raided by the FBI. So we don't have anything on this. I can't report anything specifically. So we're going to set that aside for a second. But that's the backdrop to everything that's taking place up in Chicago. Just moments ago, Ryan Poles, the general manager for the Chicago Bears, came out and said, quote, to make it really, really clear, no one in our organization is panicking. 
Guys, I think I would be panicking if I was in the Chicago Bears organization right about now. I, I, I mean, I would too. I mean, you talk about a nightmare. Let's just start with a quarterback who says one thing and then has to reiterate himself again where he basically just denied what he said earlier. Like the, the part that cracked me up with Justin Fields was, uh, you guys just mistook what I said. You said one word when we asked you what the problem was. You said the coaches. Well, How he, could that miss be mistaken? It, he he did talk a lot longer than that. He, no, he gave I a understand long scenario as to what was specifically going into it. But it's the second time because he said it after the game about the coaching of the issue. But that's beyond the point. If Justin Fields is the start of this, and now we're talking about uh, raiding the facilities Ooh. and the coaching staff. The coach steps away for personal reasons. Yeah, this is what you call an ish show right now in Chicago. This is chaos, and I'm not sure how you get out of this. At least they just have to play the Chiefs this weekend. I'm sure it's going to go well. Uh, You know they'll beat the Chiefs. Let's let's translate what the GM really meant to say. Yeah, our jobs are all in jeopardy because they are going to have to burn things down and start start from scratch because if you're the head coach, one, you need to know who you're hiring, and that's clearly an issue now. Two, when you look at what – the, the, how things are going around Justin Fields, the quote-unquote franchise quarterback, it's not going well. He's not. He's clearly, I don't know if he's butting heads, but it sounds like there's some kind of head-butting going on between Fields and the coaching staff. And you look at it, and if they if they can't get out of this kind of bill and they add weapons to Justin Fields, who are they going to look to kind of blame that on? Well, they're going to blame the GM, who could have drafted a quarterback potentially this year, said he traded down. So, I think when you look at Chicago, I think you're seeing the very beginning of the end, and they're going to be starting from scratch looking for a new GM and looking for a new head football coach at some point this year. I'd do it right now. (laughs) I I mean, I think you need to do it immediately with all of this firestorm coming at you. There's no point in dragging this off. The problem is, like, what do you do? Okay, so you fire everybody. Who are you bringing in? Are they going to be able to, like, incorporate a staff fully in the middle of the season? I mean, we saw this last year with the Colts. They bring in Jeff Saturday from the ESPN set. It, it accomplished nothing. He won his first game. Yeah, and then it was a disaster. The Do rest they have of their the first round pick this upcoming draft? The Chicago. Bears, yeah. Okay. I think they've got the Panthers as well. Well, this is out of that number one pick. This is suck for Caleb Williams. So that's why I would exactly. blow it up now. Well, that's why I wouldn't because I'm. As you can it's see, it's gonna suck. <laughs> no, not, I know, but wouldn't you game. rather like start to figure out how you're going to build this thing now? With who? Like who are you bring? Well, in? that's what I'm saying. I, I, I would. I don't think this GM's gonna be around. Yeah. Again, I'd fire everybody. Right. And I'm going to hire my people after the season. Like, I'm yeah. waiting for other people to make their hirings and firings as well. So I, I'm not going to go out there and hire a coach right now when I, most of the candidates are either yeah. hi- coaching right now in the NFL or coaching in college. There's got, you, but, and the only thing you're doing then is you're just firing the coach and you're naming an intern that you're just going to let go at the end of the year, too. I think I'd at least try and find a new general manager sooner rather than later. But those guys are all in positions as well. This is why it gets really difficult in season to be able to make those kinds of moves. Yeah. I, I mean, you could maybe like try to go find somebody that's currently – like maybe you're going to hire somebody that's on ESPN. But that's the only way that I'm making that move is if that's going to be my uh, primary target. They should fire everybody. I just think the timing on this is after the season instead of right now. Speaking of that number one pick from this year, guys, they traded it to the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers decided to take Bryce Young with that pick. So far through the first two games of the season, he has fewer than 300 passing yards. Yes, on the season. He is now questionable to start this weekend against Seattle. He has an ankle injury. The big question going into this was, is he just too little? Is he just too small? Is he going to get banged up when he gets into the league? 
Alex, how much of a concern is it that he's already banged up two weeks into his NFL career? I mean, it's absolutely a concern. This is why so many people, at least we did, in terms of debating who the quarterback you're supposed to take. I mean, look, Anthony Richardson's hurt right now with a concussion, and you expect those situations when you got a mobile quarterback. The only one right now that's healthy is C.J. Stroud. I mean, he hasn't been earth-shattering, but if, if, if we're not talking about the guy that you're taking number one overall is clear-cut like the best available quarterback that like the Trevor Lawrence asked when he was going into the draft, you knew regardless of what people were talking or his flaws, you were going to take him. I don't know if I would take a guy that had that size, especially for how the NFL is right now in terms of mobility and being versatile as a quarterback. I would much rather have a bigger quarterback than what Bryce Young was. So yeah, it's concerning. And frankly, I think if I'm Carolina right now, knowing I gave up my first round pick for this upcoming year to get this, I'm real concerned. And I, I'm wrong about everything. I want to say that up front. So like my victory yeah. laps, oh, few on, and man. far between. Come on, man. Not everything. It's why I said all along I would take Anthony Richardson over him. Because Anthony Richardson had the potential to be something that is special. And I think we've seen those moments. Now, Anthony Richardson is also dealing with an injury right now. He's concussed. But the concerns for Anthony Richardson are, is he going to get himself banged up because of how how punishing he is as a runner? The concern was for Bryce Young was, man, this guy is itty-bitty. Like, less than 200 pounds, less than 6 foot. We've never seen a quarterback successful at this size, really. It's, it's very, very rare. So, I... I'm not particularly surprised that he's dealing with the injuries. I am surprised by how ineffective he's been so far. He's been bad. He does not look good. He's averaging like four yards per attempt so far this season. He's been one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That part surprises me. I thought he would be immediately relatively successful, and it would take a little bit longer for Seattle and Anthony Richardson, but eventually they would be viewed as the better picks. For him to have this little success early on, and for him to already have the injury issues, cool buddy. I think there's some regret in Carolina right See, now. I, I'm not concerned about the Bryce Young situation. I, I think it's just one of those that I understand the easy conclusion is, oh, well, he's tiny. He's dealing with an injury. That Oh, this is the I told you so Carolina moment. That's right. I, I don't think that's it because I think if we were talking about an injury where he got just completely crushed by a defensive lineman and it's a shoulder issue, then I'd have concern. An ankle, that could be something that he tweaked while running. So I'm not overly was concerned. On Okay, but either way, <laughs> I'm not overly concerned about Bryce Young because you can get rolled up on. Any player can have that happen. But when and you're 6'4", 240 what? pounds, you have a little bit more bone but I, density, but like my Richardson man. Richardson could have the same issue. He could have an ankle What's issue more concerning, though, if, if I have a future quarterback, a quarterback who scored two touchdowns by himself and got a concussion or a quarterback who has struggled throwing in the first two weeks yeah, and got an ankle problem. a combination of all of this and the injury questions were real going into it. And I like... I hear what you're saying. Anybody can tweak an ankle. Patrick Mahomes is a big dude. He's had ankle issues his entire NFL career. So I'm with you on that. But the problem is it's already started. It's like a, it's confirmation bias. It was our biggest concern with Bryce Young coming into the NFL. And already, two weeks into his NFL career, he might be missing a game because he is brittle. I get it. That's a concern. I get it. But I'm not I'm not concerned Are you about concerned it. about his performance? I am concerned about the performance. The performance on the field is a little alarming. I'm not concerned about the injury, but I do think that the struggles early on, you see this from rookie quarterbacks, so I'm not concerned about the Bryce Young experience at all. He has been less effective than I was expecting. Anthony Richardson has been better, but he's dealing with an injury, and that is another one. Mobile quarterbacks scare me to death like an Anthony Richardson that's going to run around and take those hits. I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about Bryce Young. Uh, I would be out on Bryce Young. I would take a quarterback in the first round next year if I had my first round pick. Unfortunately, they do not. Going into tonight, final thing, guys. 
Giants at the 49ers, 10.5-point line, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I think this is the first game that we've seen this year with a double-digit line. Who do you got in this one with the points? Uh, Giants or 49ers it's in San Francisco, minus 10.5. I think it's pretty clear it's the 49ers. The, the Giants don't even have Saquon. Like, Matt Breida is their running back this year, or for this game. San Francisco, I think I saw one of the hottest bets right now on FanDuel um, is Dak, or um, Daniel Jones throwing over interception. one interception. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, San Francisco has walked over both opponents, and they've been underwhelming opponents that they played against. This is no different. Frankly, I think this could look a lot like what their first week of the season looked like. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think you take San Fran minus the 10.5. I know it's a big line early on in the year, but you saw what the Giants did against a good defense in the Dallas Cowboys, and that was nothing. They got destroyed. So I think that's going to happen again tonight. <laughs> With Saquon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had Saquon in there, and they don't have him here. I think it's easy. The 49ers are going to cover 10.5. I think so, too, which means take New York my, or plus the 10.5 No, points. don't fade T-Bone, and I only fade yeah. you. Well, I said I, I also uh, like well, we cancel you out, though. Yeah. Coming up next, the Blues don't have a whole lot of roster spots up for grabs going into the season. So where is this internal competition coming from? Alex has the answer next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So the St. Louis Blues are are selling that this is going to be a very competitive camp. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues right now are actually wrapping up uh, their first practice for this year's training camp. And Alex, earlier today we had the opportunity to speak with Doug Armstrong, the Blues president of hockey operations, to kind of set up the scene of what he's anticipating from this year's camp. Here's what he had to say about the competition that currently exists, both for roster spots and for ice time. We we do have a lot. We have a lot of competition, uh, and and that's one of the things that I said when I started. We talked about yesterday is that equity's been been used. So we have competition to make the team. We have competition where you're going to play on the team, and that that goes up the lineup too. So because you were you were a top six player or, or asked to do this in the past, you have to re-earn that. And I have a, a ton of confidence. But I think competition is, uh, again, when you, when you have an unsuccessful season and you come back in and you don't think there's competition, then, then that's certainly not going to change. So there is competition from every part of our group. And he's spot on with this. Another thing that Doug talked about were the two PTO guys that they brought in, Nick Ritchie and Isaac Ratcliffe. And he talked about the personal conversations he had with both of them and why they chose to sign with St. Louis. And Army said that he walked them through of who they were competing for roster spots with. And he said, we've got one through six in terms of forwards. Those guys aren't going anywhere. You're not going to beat these guys out for competition. And he said, seven through 15, that's your sweet spot of competing, out-competing one of these guys for a job. Now, I just did my own deep dive BK Excel sheet. Nice. And one through six, and you can argue whomever they are at the back end of this, but one through six, at least the first day of training camp, Buchnevich, Thomas, Kairu, Shen, Kapanen, and Sod. Meaning those guys aren't going to lose their job on this team. Now, you can put Verona there. You could put Hayes on there. I didn't because I would imagine Army's probably looking at that as let's see what they have to offer. Seven through 15, Hayes, Torbchenko, Sunquist, Neighbors, Verona, Blay, McEachern, Alexandrov, Walker. 
all of these guys have one-way contracts, which means if they go down, they get claimed on waivers, potentially. So that's the area that you're fighting for roster spots with. And frankly, in terms of making this team, we're talking about one, maybe two spots, depending on how many forwards they want to take. But you're competing for fourth-line duties. You're competing to move up and down in the lineup. I don't really think there's competition in terms of making this team other than three guys with one-way contracts and two PTO players and maybe two prospects. That's where I'm at. Like, I, If we're talking about the roster spots that are available, we do this in spring training with the Cardinals every year, right? What are going to be the 23rd through the 26th men on the roster? That's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, It's, hey, who's going to be the 13th forward? Who's going to be the 8th defenseman? Those are really the only two roster spots that are up for grabs, and honestly, those are going to fluctuate throughout the season. Like It could be one person for opening night, and then two weeks later, they call somebody up from the AHL, either because of injury or because of ineffectiveness. So that's going to be a rotating cycle, a cast of characters that you see. What I'm more interested in, though, is what you said there, Alex, about who's going to be playing where in the lineup. And earlier today, Doug Armstrong talked once again about how they look at it more as pairs instead of lines. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the defensive pairings. I'm talking about the forward groupings. And I think you got to see a little bit of that with the way that they put these guys out for their groupings mm-hmm. earlier today. One of the lines that they had for Group A was Saad, Shin, and Kapanen. Let's start with this, Alex. What do you think the pairing is within that group? It's obviously Shin is one of them, but Mm -hmm. is he paired with Saad or is he paired with Kapanen? I would say it's Kapanen. I I think the upside for Kapanen is better than Brandon Saad. We know what Brandon Saad is. They know what Brandon Saad is. Brandon Saad is going to give you 20 to 25 goals in a second or third line role, top line if you need him to. Kapanen is the one that is somebody who can give you 20 to 25 goals, maybe more. He's good defensively. I view this as Shin and Kapanen are the pairs. And then Saad is the one that, if you go to another grouping, is going to be competing against guys like Verana, Bolduc, and Blay. So let's continue. Hayes is on a line today with Bolduc and Blay. I think the pairing is Hayes and Blay. I think as of today, that would be your third line pairing is those two guys. Now, I don't know if I love that, frankly. I would like to see Sammy Blay on the fourth line going into the season. But the way that he finished last year, he's more than earned the opportunity to be a part of the third line. Alex, do you agree with that? Because I, I would assume it's not Zachary Bolduc as your third line I, winger. I do think they're, they're not putting the pairs together of Hayes and Bolduc going into the season. They're putting Bolduc there because that's probably going to be Yakub Verana's spot. But they said, let's see what Bolduc has to offer. You get a real evaluation Absolutely. when he's on the line with Hayes and Blake. That's a potential third line for the NHL if Bolduc impresses in camp. And they're going to say, let's see what you have to offer. And frankly, for people that don't understand... There you go, Group A, Group B, Group C, because there's a lot of preseason games that start in the first half, and you're sending three different groups so that you can isolate that as an NHL-ready roster to go. But yeah, I would say the pair there is Hayes and Blay, and I think that's because Sammy Blay impressed at the end of the season. And obviously, one of the most uh, one of the most clear pairings that we've got is Thomas and Kairou. They were with Pavel Buchnevich yep. today. I think if the season opened today, that would probably be your top line. That would yep. be my guess. And then if things don't go the way that they want it to, uh, you could see that moving around. The other one is Torpchenko, Sonny, and Neighbors. And I think that's a look at your fourth line. I think that is, you said Neighbors should probably be in the Blay spot. I think it's because Blay outplayed Neighbors at the end of the season last year, and they said Neighbors is going to start on the fourth line, and that is a great look at what it could look like. Because, I mean, if you look at, to me, the competition is at fourth line. Torpchenko, Sonny, Neighbors, that was in one group. You have Ratcliffe, 
Haim and Will Bitten. That's another group that could be a fourth line. And then you've got McEachern, Alexandrov, and Walker. That's another fourth line group. Those are three fourth lines that are competing against each other in different groups to see who is superior. But I would say if the season started today, your pairing is Sunquist and Toropchenko, and Neighbors is probably going to be that guy that has to outperform his spot. So the other extras that you would have, that would be kind of floaters, right? Um, we've seen this before in the past where it really, when they shift the lines, it's not a bunch of dudes that are like completely scrambling around. It's, it's one guy. Hey, who's the third guy that is on this line that ends up getting moved? It's Saad, Verana, and who am I missing as the third? Uh, Saad, Verana, and probably Neighbors. No, he's already on the fourth line in this scenario. It would just be Saad and Verana, right? Be Sa- oh, Booch it would be Bull Duke. I mean, oh, Bull Booch. Booch was the one that I've got. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Booch, Saad, Verana. Those are probably going to be the three that end up moving around. Yeah. How and do you feel about that? I think that's a good way to start it off. I I think you know what your number one line is going to be, and frankly, I think they're going to ride or die with that line this season. Thomas Kyrou, Booch, Navitz, that's probably going to be a mainstay. They're going to find out what the pairings look like. Does Saad look good with Shen and Kapanen? Does Kapanen look good with those two? Because if he doesn't, we dip him down to play with Hayes. If Bolduke doesn't have a good first game or Blade doesn't have a first game, you're going to see Verana and Richie move up into those spots because those are guys that are competing for roster spots. It's going to be difficult for these guys like you know, um, Gaudette, or Radcliffe, or Heim, or Bitten. It's going to be difficult for them to move up into one of those top two lines to play because you're overstepping somebody's NHL spots. But in terms of floaters, that's what we talked about at the opening of the show. You're taking on an identity of offense. We just talked about Verana, Saad, and Buchnevich as guys that could move around on line combinations. Those are three really good options. Saad was playing a top line for you last year. Like You could be talking about Saad on a third line because Verona is having such a good camp. We know how they like to to build these lines, Alex. You've got a shooter, you've got a distributor, you've got a space mover, right? Mm-hmm. You have a little bit of that with the way that they've constructed these lines, honestly, on all yeah. three. The one that you don't really have, the the space creator, the guy that's going to the front of the net is the Booch, Thomas, and Kyrou line, and it's why I think eventually it will end up getting broken up a little bit. Probably. But Shin goes to the front of the net. Kapanen, really solid distributor. Sod. Great shooter that doesn't really distribute a ton, as we've talked about in the past. Hayes, really good distributor. Verona, great shooter. And Blay, going to go to the front of the net and park his butt right in front of that goalie and try to get as many opportunities as he can. And the fact that Nick Ritchie is playing with Verona on a line tells you that they think Ritchie could be a top-nine player for him. And that's a guy that, I mean, T-Bone and I were watching him during the opening of training camp, and what did you say, T-Bone? Took one shot and then went straight to the net and parked himself yep. there. How many guys did that last season for this Blues team? Like Big old goose eggs. Yeah, know. exactly. I mean, we talked about it. They had, I think it was the fewest rebound attempts yeah. and yeah. rebound goals in the NHL but Ruby last used to clamor for that at the end of games. Like, we need somebody who goes to the front of the net. And now we've talked about three of your four lines that have guys that are willing to do it. And frankly, I do think Booch gets underrated in terms of a guy that will go to the front of the net. He's just a guy that likes to shoot, yeah, but he's not afraid to go there if he needs to. Hey, Amen. You don't have to convince me. Booch is a Hall of Famer. Second best penalty killer in Blues history. Am I right, BK? Unbelievable. The best penalty killer in Blues history and a future Hall of Famer that will go into the Hall as a St. Louis. But this is the depth that I I, I mentioned to Doug. Like, I mean, we're talking a little too much. Am I wrong? Well, he probably won't go as a Blue, though, because, you know, his contract is up in two years. It'll be fine. Get it done. This is it, though. I mean, like, we're talking about if we go down this path and let's just say Nick Ritchie makes this team because BK might cry if I don't say it. Thank you. You're talking 
McEachern, Alexandrov, Walker, Dean, Bullduke, Ratcliffe if he wins the PTO, and this guy that they're high on, Andre Heim, that's nine guys I just mentioned that are going to be fighting for one last roster spot on your NHL roster. It's good competition. It's depth. It's good competition. It's depth. It's good competition. Look, if Bucinavich gets injured, we're not going to be excited about what you have. But if you lose Sonny for a little bit, at least you got somebody who you know can play the fourth line. In 10 minutes, Alec Burleson opened up yesterday about some of the disagreements that he had with the hitting approach from the Cardinals hitting instructor. Was that a problem, or was it actually something that could be seen as a positive moving forward? We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. The Junk Drawer is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Let's dive into the juncture alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. So, guys, did you pick anybody on, up on waivers this week in our fantasy football league? Were you able to select anybody this I week? Did. Uh, I did. I uh, I zigged while everybody zagged. Everybody wanted Jerome Ford from Cleveland, and I said, pretty obvious who's going to Cleveland. And I it's put Kareem in a Hunt. claim for him, didn't get him. I was too low on the waiver uh, wire. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> that's is. stupid because yeah. the waiver should allow you because your team is 0-2. I yeah. am 0-2. I have been very bad so far this season, and it does not look like no things are turning there. around. I have... No, um, things aren't turning around, huh? I have Jalen Waddell on my team. Doesn't look like he's going to be playing this weekend, so uh, not great. Are not you great. are you regretting the decision of doing a super flex with 14 I'm regretting teams. every decision about this fantasy football league in general right now, Me including... Too. Taking over as commissioner this year. Well, you're a bad one. So, so I turn sense. on my radio this morning as I do each and every day. I get up right around 6.30 by 7 o'clock. Baby boy's typically awake. We listen to the opening drive together. together? Yeah, together. I used to put it up on YouTube, but then YouTube said that we're impersonating <laughs> ourselves. Oh, that makes so, sense. So uh, now we just listen on the phone. Ah, just like the good old days. Adelaide huh? and I listen to Bluey in the morning. So Oh, nice. Yeah, we're How's big, that going? We're big Bluey fans in my I've house. I've heard it's actually good. Like of, of the young Dude, it's hilarious. And my shows, Wife actually enjoys like we watch it sometimes because it's actually no. pretty. I'm telling you, dude. Without the kids, yeah, yeah. they've they before they go to bed, dude. Yeah. They have done such a good job. Side tangent here, they have done such a good job of like making that show intriguing for kids, but also like oh, the old interesting Pixar for parent. Oh yeah, it's that's what Pixar does. That's I'll, their whole thing is they'll give like a wink, wink, nod, nod to parents as they like make a joke that the kids oh, don't yeah. totally understand. Dude, give it a chance. Zootopia had 20 of them in there. Dude, give it a chance. I, I'm telling you, it is a funny show. Side tangent on Bluey. Props to everybody. All right, so let's get back to fantasy football. So at 7.15, I'm listening, and they're teasing their next segment, and they're talking about how they're going to do their sick of it segment, right? Great segment to listen every week. Well, this morning, the opening sick of it was Randy Carricker, who said got to be something Cardinals related. I'm sick of it's, the fantasy football uh, league. Huh. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I'm sorry, Randy. We're, we're both sitting in the cellar together. We're Checks both Randy's schedule, 0-2 with no points. Yeah, the th- it's it's me, Randy, Stalter. Oh, yeah, Stalter. I beat him in week one. And, and Brooke, we're all 0-2 to start out the season. I beat Brooke, too. Man, I'm putting everybody <laughs> in the cellar right now. 
So I, I figure it's something about how his team's not living up to expectations and he, he's disappointed in his players. Frankly, it should have been I'm sick of BK uh, inviting 14 people into a super flex league. Maybe he's sick of not using all of his roster spots because he's still got two more extra <laughs> that are available to him. He's got an IR guy that he could put on the IR, but he decided to release him instead. No, it's the, it's the, it's the, per, it's the point of the matter. All of those different things, right? All, all of those could have been what it was. It wasn't That's any like of those things. No operation going on over yeah, there. Yeah, I was going to say. It was more issues on the waiver wire. Huh. Situation. Situation. Guys, have you ever played in a league with your, where your waiver wire was determined any other way other than a rotating cast? And I'm not talking about the fab leagues. I think those are better, frankly, and I would love to incorporate that into our league. We but don't take I've heard too much about fab this week. Too we, complicated. Hey, it's fabulous. <laughs> That's right. hey Have you ever played in any other kind of fantasy no, football yeah, league where no. it doesn't rotate throughout the season after you make no. your waiver claims? And frankly, I, was, I wasn't in the knowledge of, like, how it really worked because I would claim guys on waivers every week and I would be like, why, why am I falling so short of this? And then when I recognize, like every time I claim a waiver, I get pushed to the bottom of the barrel. That makes a lot more sense. Wow, Alex is confused too. BK, Kamish, next year you're going to have oh, no, to do I, waiver wires I, for dummies, no. like a presentation no. before the season. No, hold on. That let was me. Tanner that said that. I did not say that. I don't let think me, that I, we're hey, And stuff. let me rephrase. I'm not confused by it anymore. <laughs> Last year I made a lot of bad decisions as a commissioner of my team. I've taken over that role. I am making all of the bad decisions this year. The reason why I'm asking is because, like, I know um, – in certain situations, you can be voted out by your peers from leadership positions, right? Like if you're um, on a board, yeah, if you watch you Succession, you, yeah. you can we'll overtake you. the the chairman of the board, for example. Um, if you guys feel that that is necessary in this scenario, wait, hold on, no. <laughs> I felt that before the wait, draft when you invited wait, two more I'm, people in. I'm not voting him out because he wants voted out. Can't you tell? He oh, wants yeah. to be voted out of his position. I'm more than happy for somebody else to take over as commissioner of this godforsaken league. God, no. I just <laughs> wish you wouldn't have done 14 freaking people. And I'm talking I, about you, Jackson and Rockio. I think, Commission, you've done an okay job. Nah. And I think that's that's the job of a commissioner. Not I'd, to be great, just to be average. I'd give you a D plus right now. Yeah, that's not an F. You know? B- BK, I do really appreciate, though, that we don't have kickers in this league. I'll yeah, give you Grant that. hates kickers. I, I think he our league them. is pretty well run for the most part. Now, there's been some uh, some kinks here and there. Not going to lie to you guys. Like the, the whole the adding two people draft. on the day of the draft was yeah. not ideal. I also would like to add that was not my fault. Those people despond to any hey, of I the texts say, or the But emails. a real commissioner would have put his foot I, down. I will say, though, when I win this whole thing again, I, I'm excited for the Aren't you one higher, and one? Yeah. I got a cupcake this week. T-Bone's got a really good team, and it's frustrating. Yeah. I hate it. And, I've, and I got a cupcake in week three to get to 2-1. and one. Hey, talk to me when you get to 2-0, and oh, my man. And that cupcake is Brandon Kyle. Oh, <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I did my cupcakes already. It was Brooke and Stalter's team, so Moral now I go to story. difficult. Can, can you guys please start the, uh, the no. overtaking of the commissionership? No. no, I would say you're an idiot. You're an absolute, complete idiot. I feel that way Forget right 100%. now. 100%. Yeah. Got to say 100%. I think it was 100%. Yeah. So I will say, what I was listening to, I was like, damn, did, did, did I mess up? Did I do something in the. Because you guys know, last year I messed up in a bad way. We almost did it again this year, too. It was like 15 seconds yeah, or whatever caught. on the picks. I, and I then did we the 30 it. second picks last year at the draft. That's on me. I'm more than willing to take, take the blame back when it is on me. This year, I, I thought maybe I screwed something up, so I went through the Yahoo default settings where we do our fantasy football league. And the default settings are what we're using for waiver wire. So, again, if anybody wants to go ahead and overthrow the old commissionership, uh, please feel free. I think Randy's listening right now thinking like, yeah, 
I'm ready to be commissioner of this league. Feel free. I, he's more than welcome to take over. I took over because nobody you know else was going to do a fantasy league. I think we should just league. disband the fantasy football and just give everyone their money back. No, no, no. I want your money. <laughs> let's do it, buddy. Can you just give everybody their money back and let's <laughs> just crazy. quit the league? Because I'm A-OK with the that. The worst part is I've got all of the money, right? Because as the commissioner, oh. one of your biggest You should uh, leave roles. the country. You should flee the country. He's buried I, in his backyard. Yeah. So in, in my, so in his patio in my bank account right now, I'm like, I you know, I'm, I'm in an okay place, and the reality is all of that is going elsewhere I, uh, by the end of the season. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just I'd like to disband the Fantasy Football League and no, you just wouldn't. have you, my money. You come in every day, and you're talking Fantasy Football. Yeah, and I, because I'm nervous. Oh, it's the best. I just want yeah. my money back. It's As, the worst. Like, no, nothing about it is enjoyable during the fact, but it's, yeah. it's Can we make best. it a $5 buy-in from now on? <laughs> like, can I just win $3? That money's important right now. Coming up next. So Alec Burleson said something interesting in his media availability the other day. He opened up about his relationship with Turner Ward. And I think some people took this comment and said, oh, that's why things have gone awry with the Cardinals hitting approach this season. I had a different take on it. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex and T-Bone on BK, we've got Grant Francis back in the studio for us today. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues took the ice earlier today uh, for the first time as part of their 2023 training camp. We'll have full updates throughout the day to hit today here on 101 ESPN. I'm sure the fast lane will have plenty of reaction as well coming up at 2 o'clock. But right now, Alex, I want to talk a little bit about the Cardinals because – Alec Burleson had some interesting comments the other day after he was ruled out for the rest of the year. He did indeed fracture his finger. And at the end of the season, he finished with the 245 batting average, had a 691 OPS, was okay. By the advanced numbers, if you want to get super nerdy with it, uh, he was a little unlucky, but an okay rookie year, all things considered. He was asked about his relationship with Turner Ward this season the Cardinals hitting coach, and we know here in St. Louis, who, buddy, when you ask about a hitting coach and there is anything interesting that is a part of the response, you know it is going to create quite the firestorm amongst the fan base. So let's take a listen to this from Alec Burleson. Turner and I have butted heads a lot. Turner Ward, we uh, we butted heads a lot this season because I, you know, he was trying to break through because I was, I was very, you know, stuck in my ways. And I think we can both say, you know, rightfully so, what got me here was hitting and, and my approach. And But obviously it's a different game here. And, um, you know, we had lots of conversation. We butted heads a lot. But, you know, I finally let him in. So that's interesting to me, at least. And I understand why some Cardinals fans heard that and said to themselves, Huh. Well, that's weird. Why why is he butting heads with the the hitting coach? Is this something that is a problem with more than just Alec Burleson? That is not the direction that I wanted to take this, Alex. And the reason why is because I think this is very insightful on the path that a player like Alec Burleson needs to take once they get to the majors. And it's why to bring another play into this mix, why I think that it was so important for Mason Wynn to get an opportunity down the stretch here. Alec Burleson, when you look back at his career, not just in the big leagues, but at every level that he's been at. In 2020, he was in college, had a 987 OPS in college that season. 2021, he spent most of that season at AA. Hit 289, had an 822 OPS. 
last year, spent almost the entire year at AAA, hit 331 and had an OPS of 900. This season, for the first time really since his first season in college back in 2018, he had struggles. He, for the first time in a long time, could not find a way to crack the code of pitching. At the major league level, it's just a little bit different. And according to Alec Burles, and we saw this in the story from Derek Gould the other day, he said that the hitting coach, Turner Ward, told him, hey, you've got to be more selective with what you're trying to hit. Your swing is great. I've got nothing for you there. It is working. The problem is you're not going after the right pitches. You have to be more selective. You're swinging at everything right now. And if I'm Alec Burleson, my response would have been, to hell with you, man, earlier in the earlier in the season. I've had success with this approach at every single level. And now you're telling me that because you've seen me for two weeks or a month or two months and I've struggled, it's not going to work here? Hell no. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work three months from now, then we'll start talking. And I think that's where he ultimately got. I think by the last half of the season – he started to look at things a little differently because of the struggles and said, okay, I've got to change. Turner was actually right, and I do need to be a little bit more selective, and I do need to start having a better approach at this level because the pitching is so good, it's broken me, broken me down to a place where I need to accept the coaching. And I think that is important for every level, every player, and I think it took a while for Alec Burleson to get there. So when you hear that quote, that's the way that I took it. Alex, how'd you take it? I don't think there's anything wrong when somebody, a player, says that I, I was butting heads with a coach for, for some time. Because Doug Armstrong talked about this earlier today when, when he was asked about you know how he felt like in the offseason he got closer with the, the younger players. And he said, we live in a wide generation right now. And he said in the past he's seen coaches tell a player what to do and the player just does it and the coach walks away. And he said now a coach says something and a player is going to ask why because they want to understand where the coach is coming from, why they want them to do that, and how it makes them better because that's what this is all about right now. To me, that's the exact scenario that Alec Burleson just went through. Turner Ward, who has not been his coach in the past, he's been in the minors with different coaches, which I would imagine use a lot more of the information, analytical side of baseball. And now he's with somebody who is that old school style. And if I'm Alec Burleson, who I'm trying to make it at the majors as a consistent player, and I'm going to make it because of my offense. My defense isn't going to keep me here. If I got somebody telling me to do something different, I'm going to ask why. And if I'm an old school guy, um, don't ask me why. I'm the coach, you're the player. Do this. That's not how this works. In the back and forth, the butting of the heads. And what he said at the end of that quote I thought was important, where he said, I finally let him in. You know why he finally let him in? Because the why turned into, oh, now I see what you're trying to get me to accomplish. The success I'm seeing is the why portion of what Turner Ward's going through. And for or failure. Or, or failure. And, and I think for fans to understand the perspective from a professional athlete side of things, and I'm by no means one, but just talking with them, when they understand the why, then they're bought in. And when they're bought in, you're going to have success. The player may never understand the why. The player may be on the side of, I know what I need to do to be successful, and that's what I'm going to stick with. And if you're successful with it, great. But what I took away from this was Turner Ward wanted something, Alec Burleson is a different generation, and they butted heads until they both came to the acceptance of, this is what makes me successful, and now we move forward. But what I would also add to that, because I do think that is the vast majority of what's happening here, I think in any line of work, and I'm talking any line, you could set baseball aside for a second. Let's say you're a salesperson, right? 
and you've had a ton of success in your industry for you know the last five years, and you get to a new company and they say, hey, we do things a different way here. You probably say, oh, yeah, sure. You guys do things differently. Uh-huh. I've been a salesperson. I, I know how to do this job. And you go about it, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you don't have the same success that you had elsewhere. And then you probably, after time, go to that person that told you, hey, we do things a little differently here. It's a little more difficult to get those sales to close on the deals than what it was previously. Because previously, you were selling you know, a $500 deal. Now you're working with $10,000. It's a little harder to get somebody to sign the dotted line whenever you're selling this. Well, eventually, if you go three months without selling anything, you're probably going to go back to that person and say, hey, can we chat? Let, let, let's talk a little bit more about why things are different here, what it is about it that is different here. And it's not because you necessarily were like seeking out a why, but because you relied on your own life experiences and the information that you had available to you is, hey, I'm good at this. Like I'm going to have success. I've always had success. Why would it be any different at this level than it was or at this company than it was anywhere else that I've been in my past? And I think that's what happened here with Alec Burleson. I think he was looking at it and he said, I've always been a hitter. I'm going to keep hitting. And then when he didn't, he thought to himself, why am I not hitting? He probably tried to tweak a couple of things. And then eventually he went to Turner Ward and said, all right, you're right. I got to change. What do I need to do? And that's when finally Turner Ward was able to crack the code. We've heard this, T-Bone, you mentioned it earlier today in our conversation. We've heard the Cardinals talk about this with Matthew Liberatore as well. I think for a lot of young players, especially those that were considered to be top prospects or uh, highly sought after, or especially those that move through the minor leagues quickly, it, it does take a bit of a transition when they get to the big league level to figure out, okay, what I did in the minors Not all of that is going to work here, and I'm going to have to be open to the ideas of coaches, of other players, of friends, of individuals that may not work inside of Major League Baseball, but maybe I do need to go to driveline. I've got to learn what can I do to hit the ball a little harder. Maybe I do need to go to Marucci to get a specific bat that is tailor-made for me. There's so much that goes into the game now that didn't as recently as 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's really freaking hard to succeed at this level. And all of these reasons, by the way, are why I'm really optimistic about what Alec Burleson's future holds. Him saying that out in the open, I think, speaks highly to what he could be able to accomplish this offseason if he continues to have that mind open to what some other people around him are expecting of him. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And and I think that that quote came off. It didn't come off the wrong way. I think when you hear butting of the heads, your initial reaction is, oh, they're They're fighting. They're fighting. They don't get along. No, that's not the case at all. And I think what he said there, too, because he was trying to break through to me, that that means I would be happy to hear that from – a fan of the coaches and just saying, well, he doesn't want to do it. You know, he doesn't want to do my way. It's the highway. No, Turner Ward kept pushing is what that means. He kept going, hey, you got to start doing this. You've got to be more selective. You've got to be more selective. And finally, Burleson was right, like you said. Okay, Turner Ward's right. I've got to figure out a way to start picking my pitch now more and be more selective and working with me. And I know that this has been a terrible season. But it is encouraging to hear things like that from Turner Ward, to see the adjustments that on the pitching side that we've seen the pitching coach have in Dusty Blake by fixing Steven Matz out of the bullpen, working with uh, Jordan Hicks and being able to fix him early on in the year. I know that from the outside perspective, it is, well, they're going to lose 90 games. How can this be a good success for this coaching staff? I do think there are things that you can look at and you can go, okay, I understand when Mo makes a comment that says, you know, we like this coaching staff, and it sounds like they're more likely going to be adding to the coaching staff 
you are now starting to kind of see why they feel that way. Yeah. There's there's more reasons than just what meets the eye from the outside when you're inside of those conversations. And we certainly are not um, privy to all of them or how many of them. But getting a glimpse into this one, I, I think, showed you a lot into uh, what this season was like. I would also add this uh, on the on the coaching front. I think it speaks highly of the coaches here that when you look at some of the guys that they traded, most of them did not have the same success elsewhere that they did have while they were here in St. Louis. Now, Hennessy's Cabrera is different. Jordan Montgomery's had a ton of success down in Texas, but almost every other player that has left St. Louis has gone on to have a worse success rate elsewhere than what they did here. Paul, Jack, Paul DeYoung just got released by yeah. the Giants today. Second team that's been yep. released in the last two months from him. Jack Flaherty is now in the bullpen after having a 7 ERA for the Baltimore Orioles. I I think that it speaks highly of this staff that they were able to crack the code on many of these guys and get the most out Let of them. Let me ask you guys this question, and this is, I mean, purely hypothetical because I don't know anything about, like, how they were. But does this say anything to you in terms of they struggled on two different teams, not so much of their on-field but maybe the off-field stuff that they struggled meshing with the team to where they the bat didn't play, the pitching didn't work, and so they got designated to a different role or they got just released. Does that say anything in terms of turning over a new leaf of what they used to have for the Cardinals and now you're bringing in a different group of players that have more of a voice? Not, not sure I'm following. What, so what so I guess I'm saying like maybe the, the player that Jack Flaherty and Paul DeYoung was in terms of being a part of this Cardinals roster, maybe, and I, and I don't want this to sound negative but maybe the attitude that they have didn't mesh well with the group of players that are there now and now you've got those types of players that might not be meshing it it didn't work in two different teams for Paul DeYoung whether it was just his on field or his off field stuff Jack Flaherty didn't work now he's into a bullpen role I don't think it's an attitude thing I, I think it's just as baseball players they're not as good as they thought they were but so I think there's maybe there's something to that in terms of like who they are as as people or mentality wise but like I I think Jack Flaherty's just not as good of a pitcher as he once I just was. Think those I guys, think Paul DeYoung is not the shortstop that he once was. I just was. think those guys were viewed such a hierarchy in terms of the Cardinals clubhouse because they were tenured guys. And now that they're gone, other guys have the opportunity to step into bigger roles. There's probably some truth to that. And it didn't work for them elsewhere, but now you know that there's more of an opportunity in St. Louis. We'll get out of here on this. We've got Believe It or Not on the other side, but somebody on the text line makes an interesting point here. We're going to look back on this season as a necessary adjustment period with Yachty gone. There's new coaches now, a new young core that needed time to develop. This bad season could end up being a blessing in disguise. We're saying the same thing about the Blues right now. (laughs) I I do think... Part of that goes back to the Contreras thing, specifically. I I think Contreras having the second half that he has and clearly being a guy that the team has started to embrace, I think that goes back to your point on Jack Flaherty. I'm not sure that the pitchers – we know the pitchers didn't embrace Wilson Contreras earlier in the season, and I think that has shifted now. I think Wilson Contreras is now no longer seen as a problem behind the plate – I think they now realize, oh, we just didn't have the pitching. Yeah. And I think that has been a big thing that came out of this season. All right, coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe 
it myself. I was told by T-Bone, Suddenly we can't sing. Oh no, we can sing it. It's just gonna, everybody's gonna hate us afterwards. We're seconds. But when's that ever stopped us, T-Bone? I gotta turn this stuff up. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. What the hell? Flying away on a wing in a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, just no, no, that was 314-399-9646 uh, is the air comfort service text line for Believe It These or two. Not. <laughs> yeah, you also sound <laughs> You sound terrible in mine. I must only be good in the studio. Alright, let's get to Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the season, we'll be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals as the second-best team in the AFC again. Oh, not believe this one. The second-best team in the AFC? No way. I think we're going to be talking about the top two teams in the AFC as Miami and Kansas City. I truly believe Kansas City is going to make a trade for Mike Evans. And that, I mean, juggernaut, again. Can you make Bucks oh, yeah. going 17 and up? Mike Evans. Bucks going 17 and 0. You're in the Baker's kitchen. Bucks now. winning until Mike Evans says trade me and then oh, downhill. <laughs> Our next slide right now. Is it bad? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go back and listen. Good thing we weren't on YouTube for that one, but we will be back tomorrow. Woo-hoo! Did I just have a stroke? What the hell was that? Dude. Remote singing guys, yikes. Yeah. T-bone, T-bone. Do over, please. That was terrible. Guys, that was terrible. T-bone, that was awful. Yeah, T-bone, you don't have a voice of an angel. <laughs> Believe it or one. not, you all just butchered that to all hell. Yeah. yeah Believe, Believe it. it. Believe yeah. it. I warned them like it's different here at this at the uh, Centene Community Eye Center you know at what? our EMB Granite Studios. I never say back down in a situation like this. Never T-Bone? Uh, I would not believe this either. I agree with that. I think Miami's a top two team in the AFC. I think they're the top team in the AFC. I don't Great. think Kansas City's going to catch them this year. Uh, maybe in the playoffs. And Denver. Dead. But no. no well, you had me in the first part. <laughs> I'm going to believe it. I think they're going to beat the, uh, the Rams this week. Obviously. I think they'll beat Tennessee next week, especially if Burrow is good to go for that one. I, they'll definitely beat Arizona on the road. And at that point, we're going to be talking about a team that's 3-2, and two, having won each of their last three games. They're still trying to find themselves as a unit. And by the end of the season, I'm going to trust that the infrastructure there is still what it was a year ago. I'm going to believe that the Cincinnati Bengals, by the end of the year, will be talking about them once again as one of the top teams in the AFC. I'll say top two. Alex, what do you got? Believe it or not, boys, Scott Perunovich begins the season in the American Hockey League. So watching him today at practice, he was skating with Justin Falk. Doug Armstrong addressed the media and said that Tory Krug's improving and he's probably going to play some exhibition games he was on the ice today yeah right before the practice i i would imagine you're going to see him play in a majority of the exhibition games uh and look i mean perunovich playing with falk makes sense but that's going to be tory krug's spot when he comes back letty's with pareko scandela and rosen bortuzzo and tucker i don't see where scott perunovich fits in if tory krug's available so i'm i'm believing this one i believe it too i don't think scott perunovich is going to be up with the team when the season starts i, I just don't see where the playing time is and i i push back on the notion a lot that you can't play Krugins and Perunovich on the same in the same lineup. So I, I would say that he's not gonna make it. I think he's going down to the AHL See, to start I, the year. I think you can play Krug and Perunovich in the same lineup. You can't play Krug, Perunovich and Letty in the same lineup. That's my concern. Like I think Krug could play with Pareko. I think Perunovich could play with Falk, but the issue is where does Letty play? And I think you need a penalty killer. 
Uh, I'm going to believe this as well. I've stated my case. I think we're all on the same page here. T-Bone, what do you got? Believe it or not, we just talked about Sammy Blay paired with Kevin Hayes earlier today. Believe it or not, Sammy Blay will remain in the top nine all season long. Ooh, not. Not going to believe that. I do think by the end of the year he is a fourth liner. I do think opening night, at least based on what we've seen today, I think on opening night he will be in your top nine. But I think midway through the season, probably even before then, uh, I expect Jake Neighbors to be up in the lineup, and at that point, I do think Sammy Blay will drop down. I- I'm not believing this one either, but, man, the more I thought about it when we were talking about, like, the hierarchy in terms of where you're playing and Neighbors starting on the fourth line, I still go back to Doug Armstrong's comment last year about taking it slow with these young players and, you know, putting them in the water, and if it doesn't work, if they feel like they're using a life jacket, p- picking them up and putting them in a smaller pool of water. If Neighbors isn't to the level they want him to be at, I could absolutely see a scenario where they put him back in the American Hockey League again and say, go be a number one winger. I'm not going to believe this, though, because I do believe more games for Sammy Blay are going to be played on the fourth line because that's a really good fourth line if it's Torbchenko, Sunquist, and Blay. But I'm very curious what their role is going to be with Jake Neighbors moving forward. So I may have been a little aggressive in saying all season long, but if I changed that to the majority of the year, I would probably say believe it. I, I could see absolutely see where he's playing on the third line. Especially for, if his offense uh, continues. Exactly. If he plays like he did down the stretch last year, I can totally see where it's an uphill climb for Jake Neighbors to get to the third line. I'm not as high on Neighbors having that uh, massive breakthrough season. I'm not saying he's going to be bad and he's spending time in the AHL. But I think he needs to have a breakthrough. He's going to take Sammy Blay's job in the top nine. And for people that are skeptical of Sammy Blay, let's also not forget he carried over his offensive ability into the the tournament that they played after the regular season where he played for Team Canada. I think he was one of the leading point getters for Team Canada, he and Jake Neighbors. So his offense at least looks like it was untapped by St. Louis last year. Uh, all right, guys, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Houston Astros will miss the playoffs this season. Dude, Have I you was, seen how close I was surprised how Baltimore just demolished um, Justin Verlander that start. So... As of today, the Astros are about a half game back of the Toronto Blue Jays, if you're looking at the playoff standings, just the overall American League records. The Astros are also in first place in the American League West. Here's where it gets really interesting. The Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners are both a half game behind the Texas Rangers as of today, or excuse me, the Houston Astros as of today, and one of those two teams will end up missing out on the playoffs. So out of the three teams in the AL AL West right now that are at the top of that division, the Astros, uh, the Mariners, and the Rangers, one of the three is likely to miss the playoffs. Guys, believe it or not, that team will be the Astros that ends up missing out. I'm not going to believe it because I think their pitching is really good. you got Framer Valdez leading the charge for that rotation. You've got Justin Verlander, though. Like you said, to not pitch well against Baltimore. Seattle's pitching is better. He's been good this year. Well, I didn't say Seattle was going to miss. They could be the second team. Yeah, you team. jerk. Yeah. God. Yeah. Come on, Brandon. Every time. Um, sorry, sorry. And, like, I, lo- sorry, I love sorry, that sorry, lineup. They've got that sorry. guy that I think is a superstar now in Kyle Tucker. Uh, they've got Jordan Alvarez as well. You've got Jose Altuve. And I know Abreu's had a bad year, but if he gets hot, which he did in early portion, and he got Bregman as well, I, I think Houston's going to be fine. I think they're making the playoffs. Have you seen Seattle's uh, schedule down the stretch? They finished. like don't, Isn't there like final eight games or nine games against both Houston and uh, Texas? The only games they have remaining are against Houston and Texas. Oh, yeah. They've got three games coming up against Texas this weekend, three games then against Houston at home, and then they finish out the season with four at 
at home against the Texas Rangers. The schedule could not have fallen any better for this race. I am going to believe this. I do think that the Texas Ra- or the Houston Astros will ultimately miss out on this year's postseason. We will see some new blood in the American League this year. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes down to Houston or Texas, and, and I'm going to lean more towards Texas. I think Texas has got a better all-around team. See, I don't trust their bullpen enough to get them through. They, they continuously are falling apart as the I, Texas I think bullpen. Seattle might win the American League this year. I think, oh, win the American League? I think so. That rotation, man. It, and it's the rotation it's that does it. Because I have no faith in Baltimore's pitching. I have no faith in Tampa's pitching. Uh, the AL Central just sucks. Um, and it just comes down to who's in the AL West. And I think it's going to be between Seattle and Houston. I think you already know who the World Series is going to be. It's Seattle versus Atlanta. Like, that to me is the matchup. We did that last year, though. Yeah, but I, I felt the same way about Atlanta last year that I do this year. I don't feel another Phillies team this year. I, I didn't feel Philly last year. <laughs> yeah, but, man, Atlanta just seems I'm like a juggernaut right, right now. I'm feeling the Cardinals. They're not officially eliminated, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. I was there. I was Never there. say never. They could get back in. Coming yeah. up next, Jordan Cairo saying all the right things. Now it's about seeing it on the ice. We'll explain next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That music hits a little mm-hmm. different as we get into the hockey season. Big thanks to uh, Grant Francis, who's uh, running the board back in the studio for us. We're broadcasting out here live at the ENB Grand Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues were on the ice earlier today for day one of training camp. And Alex, on the ice was Jordan Cairo, who had a really interesting quote in Jeremy Rutherford's piece earlier today in The Athletic. My takeaway from his quote was this. He's saying all the right things. Now we need to see him put it on the ice. Here's what he had to say. Quote, last year was kind of a bleep show. (laughs) It wasn't the year any of us wanted to have as a group. So obviously there's a bunch of things we can improve upon. As a group, everyone, we all just need to be a little bit better in certain areas. I feel like I took a good step in my goal scoring last year, and you want to continue to build on that. But it's not the only thing that I need to work on. It's about everything. It's about working your butt off each and every game and each and each and every shift. That's one thing that you can control. You can control your work ethic. You can control your battle. You can control your consistency. That's where I'm trying to get to. That's where I want to be. Again, that came from Jeremy Rutherford's piece. He had a one-on-one conversation with Jordan Cairo. Alex, I can only speak from the conversation that we had with Jordan Cairo yesterday as well, and certainly having this as the backdrop. I think Jordan Cairo was saying all of the right things. It sounds like he did all of the right things in the offseason. And now it's about seeing him put it together on the ice. I'm not asking him, as Doug Armstrong said earlier today, to go out there and win a Selkie. But can you go out there and be a average to slightly below average defender? Be defensively for the Blues what Jordan Walker has become defensively for the Cardinals. That's the step we need to see from him. And if he takes that step... Man, he can be a legit all-star caliber talent again. Yeah, I mean, Doug said that Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrie, he was asked about those two guys and the pressure, or he said a chip on their shoulder from last year. And he said, it's not a chip on their shoulder. He said, these guys know that they're going to be relied upon for us to have success this year. And I think that's where Jordan Kyrie is coming from. Jordan Kyrie, and this is crazy to say because we talked all offseason about, do you move on from him? Does he mesh well with what they're trying to accomplish? His defense is bad. Jordan Cairo, in a matter of two days where we've been able to see him and talk with him, 
seems like he's gaining an understanding of leadership with this Blues team. He's taking this role that says, you're an $8 million player now for the Blues, take it and show everybody that you're that guy. Because that's what these guys do. When McKinnon got his money, when you know Connor McDavid got his money, like you take that team and you say, we need to be better. And for him to speak like that about the team and decisions and being consistent, all of those are factors that come into this. So yeah, I, I don't I don't read too much into words rather than when I actually see you in action, not when you take on the C team of the Arizona Coyotes on Saturday, but when you go up against the other top lines, if Robert Thomas is going to take this team to the next level, you're going to have to be better than all the other number one centers in the National Hockey League, specifically in the Central Division. If you're Cairo, you're going to have to find a way to outperform these other guys. Saying it is one thing, doing it is another, but at least I know that the leadership mindset is starting to click in for Cairo. He looks confident. Very yeah, confident. Th- that's the biggest thing is like there's a there's a certain amount of confidence that surrounds him right now. And when you play the way that he does, dude, I think confidence is such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I think Jordan Walker, a lot of it was confidence in the outfield. I, I don't think he was getting we know he wasn't getting good reads earlier in the season. And he was playing super conservative because of that. He just didn't want to make any mental errors. He was just out there saying, Hey, if I can keep this single from becoming a double, that's a win for me. I'm not going to try to go out there and lay out to try to get the out. I'm just going to prevent the double. Because if this guy gets to second base, it's going to be on me. It's going to be embarrassing. I don't need that. Now we're seeing him start to make some of those plays. We're starting to see him make some of those easy plays as well that didn't look so easy for him earlier in the season. That's what you got to see from Jordan Cairo. There were moments a couple of years ago where I thought we could kind of start to see it click a little bit. Where it's like, okay, he is starting to get in a little bit on the forecheck. No, he's not going to be a guy that's super physical out there. But through the neutral zone, I felt like he was getting some takeaways, making breakaways off of those. And it was the defense converting into offense where, man, that's where he's going to make his money. That's where he's going to get some of his big-time goals. You need to see more of those this year. And maybe more importantly, just the consistency of it. And it's been really interesting over the last couple of days being out here, Alex, the number of times that we've heard somebody, and I'm talking everybody around the team, people part of the team and those around it that are either covering it or just associated with the club. Everybody's talking about work ethic. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that you hear the most about is work ethic going into this season. And I will be very curious to see what that looks like when they officially get on the ice in a game situation. What does that work ethic look like? Does it actually get into play, or is it just one of those fun words that they're using as a tag? Well, and I, this is what goes back to the Cairo. Like, you saying one thing and doing thing is another. Like, last year it was Ryan O'Reilly who was the captain. You had your leadership core, and everybody looks to that guy. And look, Ryan O'Reilly was always the hardest worker in the room. But everybody's eyes diverted from O'Reilly last year to the new $8 million players. Yep. And not that these guys weren't working hard, but... Those are the guys that you're always probably nitpicking about, saying, well, he wasn't out there very long, or he didn't do this and that. Now you're coming into this season where if Kairou is speaking this way, they understand, like, hey, focus is on you guys this upcoming season. When you're the hardest workers on the ice, everybody follows. Now you've got a captain who is playing through, like, eight fractured ribs basically half of the season, and you don't have these pending UFAs that don't know how they fit into your team. You've got pending UFAs who are trying to go out and showcase their ability to be on other teams if the Blues don't re-sign them. Internal competition is what Doug talked about. comes to being the hardest worker, but again, words don't mean anything. You have to do it on the ice. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back. 
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Hire and Auto Centers. We were able to catch up earlier today with Joey Vitale live from the Centene Community Ice Center, where we've been broadcasting all day long. We'll be broadcasting here again tomorrow as the Blues continue with the start of training camp. And Alex, how I wanted to finish the show today, what was your biggest takeaway? Day one of all of the guys being back out on the ice, you were able to take in a good amount of the early portion of, of practice what'd you see you got a lot of bodies that I think are going to provide size to this blues team that they didn't have last year and I only saw one group that was on this ring because they had a different group group playing but the group that I was watching were a lot of these guys that could make the team Richie Ratcliffe you had a couple of others Dean was in this group Bolduc was in this group I think you have a lot of options at the forward position which is going to provide more decisions for Craig Berube to utilize throughout the season. That it, was my bigger one. It's the year of the Richie here in St. Louis, by the way. Yeah, by the way, Nick Richie was sitting on the bench at the beginning of practice. Like, what are we doing, Nick? Huh? Your guy's not even that's out not, there. That's not how you make the team. You got to outcompete certain guys. I had two like big picture takeaways from what we saw in terms of the line combinations and the defensive pairings. I think it's going to be tougher than we expected for Scott Perunovic to be able to make this team. Uh, Tori Krug already back out on the ice prior to the start of practice today. It looks like he's working his way back. Uh, Doug Armstrong said he's going to be back probably even for exhibition games. Yeah. So sounds like his injury wasn't super serious. I think that's going to make it a little tougher than we thought for Perunovic to start the year with the roster. And the other one was Jake neighbors was paired with a lot of the fourth line guys meanwhile Sammy Blay was playing up with guys that you expect to be a part of the top nine so I think right now as of today this could change very soon Sammy Blay probably expected to be in the top nine Jake neighbors probably battling to try to get into Mm -hmm. the top nine that's where things start hopefully uh, that ends up bringing out the best of both of them for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley we'll have plenty more from Blues Camp tomorrow here at the Centene Community Ice Center but coming up next We'll get Jamie Rivers' first thoughts on the Blues coming off of day one of training camp. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.